Ahoy there, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks for checking this out, the first in our new series, looking at The Last Ride, the documentary detailing the final days of The Undertaker and his career in WWE. And who better than me and Adam to look back at all the candid moments from 2017 onwards, knee injections notwithstanding, that went into the career of mean Mark Calloway, culminating in a boneyard. Hey, we're looking at the last ride, but if you're in for a long ride of audio, lots of audio, look, we got lots of audio content on our Patreon page is what I'm trying to say. Nearly 70 episodes of the Smackdown Crawl. We got ourselves a whole boatload of the Bibliotech, our most recent series, three parts in depth, three hours apiece, looking at Pete Gas's autobiography. And believe me, it was one of the most eye-opening behind-the-scenes look at WWE we've ever seen. And an amazing journey for one of our all-time favorite journeymen. As well as that, you got the likes of the Hardcore Truth, the Hardy Boys, The Rock, Making the Game from Triple H, Ryback's um, self-help book. All that and more on the Bibliotheque. Adam and Billy, for the first time ever, are doing their own series. Looking at the hilariously over-the-top muscular comics that were released for WWE during the Attitude Era. Part 2 of The Undertaker series is just about to drop. And as well over there, you've got yourself Q&As with myself, Adam and Billy. Full episodes of those. You've got video episodes if you want to settle in with us on the visuals. Some with me and Adam, some with Adam and Billy. Those are all available for as little as a $5 backing for this fan and listener supported podcast. Patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. But for now, let's settle in. Let's rev up our tatten backs and head on down the dusty trail to Death Valley, that is, for the last ride. Dead man walking. All right, you good to go? Yeah, you saw it? Yep, all good here, yeah. dude. Yeah. Levels all right, yeah? Yeah, yeah, recording sounds good. Hello, one, two, one, one two. two, very good. good. Oh, sugar, hang on a second. I just want to grab a coffee quick, all right? One all sec, right, one sec. <laughs> hang on, I'll just sit down right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adichera podcast. Bono, Bugo, Redo, special edition, and more... When you come on this episode, I ain't gonna give you no tombstone pile driver. I ain't gonna lock you in the hell's gate. I ain't gonna take you to school. Boy, you best get some speck in your voice when you speak my name because we're going on. For God's sake. A last ride. Gonna keep rolling, rolling, rolling on. Who would have thought all these years ago, the man, the myth, the oft-seen but never heard from legend, mean Mark Calloway, would finally let the curtain fall down and behind him we see who the Undertaker really is. And once again, it's me, your old pal, the booger red cowboy himself, Kevin Mann. Join us, I'm always in this look back at an expose into the twilight years of The Undertaker by the phenomenal Adam Bibolo. Hey there, Kevin. And yes, we are looking at the last ride today. As people have been quick to point out, we are the podcast that is by far the most equipped to handle this subject with 
with respect sensitivity. and mm. with sensitivity. Yeah, people know, given our track record on The Undertaker, that we're going to be very fair and very respectful to Booger Red. So we did have a vote way back when, which was asking the uh, direction for the next few episodes as we're in tier three here in Manchester <laughs> in Cheshire. Sorry about that, folks. And we did have a close vote between finishing the WWA mm -hmm. and the last ride. Now, the WWA has been an absolutely wild emotional journey. And if you've not checked that out, I can only tell you, please, it's not a typing error. It is its own company. It's WWA, for sure. Do check it out. But we thought before we finish set off, we would start into this series because we had a lot of very vocal, passionate people telling us why. They thought this would be a real, real important one for us to watch. And we're not just watching the documentary, Adam, are we? No, we are going to watch every match that we come across in this documentary, which does mean that eventually, Kevin, you and yes. I are going to be headed to the glorious kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I have watched exactly one of the Saudi show moments, and, oh. and that was... I watched, no, I, watched, I watched Goldberg and Undertaker. I did watch it. Did you? I did. I have morbid curiosity. But I got up early to watch it in the dark, like, so no one could see me. <laughs> I think that I watched the one with Triple H and Undertaker for the grunts. You did? But wait, no, hang on. Was I in Australia? I think that was Australia. Oh, as far okay. as I know, because... We had the Brothers of Destruction, though, at Saudi, and that was yeah, different. Yeah, the tag match. And, of course, we also had Rusev at, uh, as well. We got, we got a lot of amazing, <laughs> amazing me. matches to get into. Mm -hmm. And, as of course, if you're watching any of these shows, do as we do, which is to sit in an isolated, large, white recliner armchair <laughs> with very little respect <laughs> as to what's going on or to any human rights that may be violated along the way. So, Adam... Let's start off first. The context of all of this, of, of us having Undertaker within our, our sights very firmly, this is happening to massively time date this episode in the fine month, the spooky month of October 2020, which we've decided to redesignate for social purposes as Undertober. Undertober. <laughs> it comes after September, okay? <laughs> fuck's sake that's the month afterwards where all we do is we look at 2002 big evil undertaker <laughs> but no this is obviously the spookiest time of the year we're looking at the last ride on the main timeline over on patreon me and billy are actually looking at the undertaker's comics from 1999 so there's a lot of undertaker in the air and we thought we'd make a bit of an event of it we've been posting some more undertaker based content on social media and we thought we'd have a month of it but we got stuck on coming up with a name so we decided that we were going to turn this decision over to you lot on Twitter. And the options that we gave you in the poll was Undertober, which is what we ended up going with. That was the winner. This is Undertober month now. Mm -hmm. We also had Takertober and we had Octaker. Oh! I know I quite like that one, but it doesn't quite read as well as it sounds. <laughs> it sounds like if you had some sort of Spider-Man infinite universe, parallel universes thing, you know, and then they'd be like, no, it's not, not Dr. Octopus, this is Dr. October. They fulfill the same role, essentially, but just, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's like an octopus, yeah. <laughs> so we posted those three on social media, and then what proceeded to happen was people kept commenting with names that honestly were were quite a bit superior to the ones that we chose. <laughs> so here are some of the ones we got. Okay. Longtime listener of the podcast, Kyrie Crawford here, suggested that we call it Octoblue. <laughs> 
Oh, and don't worry, folks. They, we'll get into some Undertaker crunch in a minute. <laughs> don't you worry. Oh, this is gonna get good. This is gonna get good. Actual facts, yeah, suggested that we call it Octo... <laughs> spell it out, spell it out. Octuntobertaker. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> He's Octunter taking care of business, Cole. <laughs> Sean Somerville suggested the hunt for Bugger Red October. Oh, mm. now. Yeah, the match we're going to watch later is almost as long as the hunt for Red October. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Michael suggested we call it Respectober. <laughs> and Rich Southby says taking care of Tobe. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what we're doing right now, dude. We're fucking taking care of Tober right here, folks. And at home, you're taking care of Tober as well. Let's do this. James Southby says, Oh, go school, which doesn't really work. Nope. Sean Roberts says, What about Boogerween? Yeah, Boogerween. I quite like that one, actually. Anything can happen on Boogerween. <laughs> you might even learn respect. <laughs> Come on, boy. <laughs> Tim Curry beating you up in the shower. Go to school. And my personal favourite, the <laughs> I was actually recording with Billy the other day, and before we actually got into recording, as soon as we sat down, he said to me, like, I'm actually quite disappointed that we didn't end up going with this one because it's so good. But longtime friend of the podcast, Lizzie, she wrote in suggesting we call it Mark Halloween. Oh, I think that one is is particularly particularly fitting right here because I think we can call it Undertober subtitle Mean Mark Halloween, you know, because. We're not talking about The Undertaker as a performer here. We're talking about um, Mark Calloway, the person, the competitor, and the legend. Adam, let's just talk about how this is... A, it, it's different, right? It, yeah. Undertaker, Mark, Mark Calloway, like, to say that they're different, is it's an obvious fact enough, but mm. to explore what that means, we've rarely, if ever, and I really am struggling, Jimmy Kimmel appearances notwithstanding, <laughs> to, to see any instances of this man outside of the bubble of his character as he and the WWE have perceived it. Yeah, exactly. There's been scant, if any, footage, appearances, anything where it's like, I am Mark Calloway, this is who I am, this is the real me. I mean, there's been many maybe the occasional bits like he had a couple of pages in the wwe unscripted book i think and you know there might be a couple of sound bites here and there of the real mark saying drink whiskey yeah cool. yeah exactly stuff like that nothing too insightful but actually now that i think about it i think just before this came out there was that broken school sessions with stone cold which if you remember I'm talking like right at the start of this podcast when I was busy pissing on the mail and stuff like that. Like I, I remember distinctly when I was a, I listened to every single fucking podcast that Steve Austin put out, yeah. every single one, at least once or twice. And you remember when I came to you one day where he was like, "Folks, got a big announcement. Yeah, <laughs> coming down to one two three Gimmick Street. None other than the Dead Man." The Phenom, yep. my best friend, Mark Calloway, The Undertaker. Adam, that was 2014 he said that. Jesus. 2014. Wow. And then, like, you know, you have people coming in saying, like, when's that happening? He's like, we're getting to it. It will happen. And like, the fact that he had said he would be doing one with him as opposed to saying, like, The Rock, it's not as if he came out and said, me and Rocky, we're going to have a podcast. Didn't do that. So I was anticipating this 
for many, 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 many years. Yeah, I feel like this year has been a serious turning point for The Undertaker because we had the Broken Skull sessions, we've had Last Ride. He, in general, on social media, seems to be becoming like, more of a normal person, the way he posts on Instagram. I mean, we had that fucking advert for WWE Battlegrounds where it was him, Michelle, and their daughter, and they were all just like sat around playing on the game together like a really normal family. So I feel like he's shifting from being the wrestler Undertaker into being a man now. And I actually reckon, I'm going to say this now, I reckon within the next three years, we'll get Dead Man talking. It'll be a podcast with him, and it'll probably be Conrad Thompson, and it'll be those two talking because he kind of is like one of the few mm. untapped gold mines left in the world of wrestling, to be honest. Other than Vince McMahon, that is. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that's never going to happen now, is it? Welcome to the Vince McMahon cave. <laughs> I don't need them at all. <laughs> yeah, they just have an iPad with a soundboard. It's not plugged into anything. And Vince thinks he's making a podcast for the award-winning WWE Network. That's why he's up and showing up to half the shows recently. I will actually say, watching this documentary again, that it is like, it's quite surprising how real it actually is like i remember when this the uh, the the trailer for this actually aired i was talking to my friend brogan and she was saying to me like she's never going to watch this because it will ruin the mystique of the undertaker and i thought like will it really but actually like haven't seen it already and now watching through it again it is a surprisingly honest look at this man that we've never actually seen the reality of before it is pretty pretty open let's say i mean i honestly i see the reaction when stuff like this came in because he announced this journey of wrestlemania 36 this year and i remember seeing the reaction and i remember being like not like jealous or anything but yeah i was i was happy for people that still felt that they had an element of the mystique to be ruined for them like i i felt that even though I've never f- seen the man speak at any length or anything like that, so much has been spoken about him on his behalf. You know, Brett's book, Mick's book, Austin's podcast. Undertaker is constantly referenced by legendary figures like, years above him. People like Ric Flair are always talking about him. Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes, Triple H, Vince McMahon. He has had such a world built around him. That, and also then doing this podcast where we were kind of like, hey, maybe let's look at him outside the rose-tinted glasses. A fellow didn't have have much of a mystique left but you still have to remember that this is probably one of if not the most successful wrestling character of all time in terms of kayfabe and a character who wishes to take himself seriously and he is not begrudged one iota by the fans and as a matter of fact he's beloved more for the fans bret hart didn't get this love for taking himself seriously no and I will say one of the reasons I found this documentary so intriguing is because like, you know, for instance, we all know the stories from Plane Ride from Hell. We've heard them a million times, but imagine if they did come out and say like, here's the footage, here's the actual thing, and you got to see it with your own eyes for yourself. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this documentary. It's sort of like, we've heard all these stories about Booger Red, we've heard all these things, and we've made up all of our own like, you know, assumptions, and we've shat all over his mystique so many times over the years. I kind of wanted this look at the reality of the man to sort of know if, like, our perception of him does line up with the reality of who he actually, actually is. I would say, in terms of a man versus the myth of his character, Mark Calloway, you know, throughout this documentary, and I've watched it, obviously, all the way through once and watching it again now to review it with Mm -hmm. you, but whether by design or not, he is thoroughly in the shadow of his character. Yes. 
thoroughly in the shadow. Like, you know, Mark Calloway can't help being less interesting than The Undertaker. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is by design because he wanted to make himself be such a non-factor comparatively. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you think of any of those many instances over the years where The Undertaker very much dusted his hands of the norms of we have broken kayfabe, we don't do this, so on you pop now, you know, you're just a wrestler, drop the fucking act. Because he was doing that years after everyone else stopped. Yeah, I can't think of anything, actually. Own Heart's passing really struck me yeah. as, as a big moment as a kid, because that was right at the time of like corporate ministry, demon sacrifice and all that. Mm. I thought, and it was kind of explained to me by my older brother, and my parents tried to contextualize it, because they were like, ah, one of his wrestlers he likes is tied. Mm. And they were like, I think it's probably they don't want to cause upset on this show by having this character come out. Yeah. Whereas in, ret- in retrospect, it was more probably likely Undertaker himself, the character feels that he needs to protect that mystique by not showing his very kind of human awkward moment. And that extended for most of the times where, you know, when Pillman passed away, where other wrestlers passed away, he stuck, took to a step to the side. Mm. I think we got some, like, weird ones. Like, when Paul Bear died, he did the kind of in-character tribute, which I felt was, I guess, somewhat fitting. Yeah, that's different but, with Paul Bearer, I think, because he is inherently part of the Undertaker mythos. Certainly having a character synonymous with death makes him a little bit awkward to appear Mm. in the vast majority of pieces regarding wrestlers passing away or tributes and things like that but has he shown up on many documentaries even the network ones i mean his name is he's spoken a little bit on some of the ones recently i'm sure he absolutely has and now i'm trying my damnedest to remember who it was there was someone's documentary i can vividly see it in my head undertaker wearing a black beanie with a gray hoodie over it looking kind of sheepish being like well, man, you know, that's that's what they say about him. Like, I'm trying to remember. It was something like... Like Kingdom Come, was it? Oh, God, maybe. It wasn't a Giants world. I don't think they could get him for that. Well, sure, I was going to say, because Undertaker there with the beanie and the hoodie up, like, I think you got to recognize, man, is that the, the big show's cereal bowl, you know, leads a laugh, leads a laugh, <laughs> <laughs> I swore they've used him for kind of generic things like, you know, 365 or Day Of or... Yeah, I think so. Well, I think it always was going to be awkward to have a character who is in very various degrees over his career associated with death you know sometimes Mm. by name only sometimes by like every fucking literal thing you could think of associated with death in the process of dying obviously it's an easy one to say maybe he shouldn't show up celebrating the death of people who have died or you know showing up to say things like 9-11 and stuff like that i know he popped in there to talk a little bit about respect and all that Mm. but generally speaking and i wonder how much he thought of this Generally speaking, it was kind of one of those things where the fact that me and Mark Calloway didn't have to sit down and chat and explain the character of The Undertaker an awful lot, judging from some of the bits we saw in 1997, I think it was probably more like, yeah, it's for the best, as opposed to, damn it, me and Mark's not going to be able to talk on the VHS about Stone Cold being a badass. I don't think he's the best speaker. No. As a as a normal person. like No, he's not. And... In preparation for doing this and talking about him, because I know our reputation for being mean about Mean Mark, I wanted to... (laughs) I I wanted to sort of try and refresh my memory on the good things about The Undertaker and why he's so important. And I typed into Google, Undertaker Best Promo, and I found, like, a forum where people were talking about how, like, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think there is any classic Undertaker promos. And as much as mystique and popularity as he's garnered over the years, 
I don't think his ability to talk has ever been one of the things that has appealed to people at all. No, and I think the talking for him, and I think of the few occasions where I'm like, that's really effective talking for The Undertaker. Mm. And, you know, maybe it's the times where Paul Bear's holding up the microphone for him in 1989, his eyes are on the back of his head Mm. talking about being an emissary for Satan. That I thought was very, very effective. Most of the time where he's cutting promos, like I even remember heights of height and absolute total height of streak fever mm. no not that type of streak fever when we're all really watching wrestlemania from the undertaker's longest running episodic streak and he would come out and say things like there have been many dragons who have laid yeah. siege to my king and you know we i'd watch those with you and billy and we'd or we'd be like oh my god this is so cringe mm. cut to wrestlemania fucking blue lightning promo there have been many dragons you know he has content and delivery that is fucking a joy to work with if you're making promo packages for yep. a spooky zombie mortician biker. Yeah, it works. That's it. He, he he works when he's accompanied by editing and effects and lighting and physicality. It, the actual verbiage on its own where it's just a man stood in the ring with a microphone, it's usually kind of hard to watch. Genuinely, the best time he was on the mic, now that I think about it, was when he was heel booger red. Mm. When he would he would he had a, a great believable like escalation of you know threat in his voice and stuff like that. Mm. And someone had you know I you'd ask you the day on Twitter about people saying their favorite moments. Someone brought up when he turned heel on Jr. Yeah, and how he goes from being like kind of I'm your friend in the bar, you respect me to like he's literally about to fucking kill you, mm-hmm. and how quickly that happens and convincingly. So I think he has had constraints as a performer because of what his character was. I think if he said, you know, I'm me, Mark Calloway with my taped fist and that is going to be my character as a wrestler, he probably would have had better promos late in his career. But you got to say, this gimmick is the greatest gimmick in wrestling of all time, right? Flair says that all the time and I, I am inclined to agree. Yeah, I I feel like it's it's got to be. Like, there's nothing else that could have remotely come close to lasting 30 years. Like, even if Stone Cold Steve Austin was healthy forever... I don't think his character would still be appealing all those years later because it was more about the time that it was happening. Whereas Undertaker works in every era, no matter where he is. I love how effective it is as a character in wrestling because I think as a wrestling character, it should be worn as a badge of honor if you're able to subscribe your gimmick to a lay person. Mm. Someone who doesn't watch wrestling Mm -hmm. and then go like, well, his whole thing is that we don't know if he's alive or dead. Points he's been a vessel for, for, for Satan. He killed his brother. His parents are morticians. We think he's died and come back to the life. And you keep going. like It's so fantastical. And you go, what the actual fuck? Mm. And then when you actually see them walk out, you go, okay, I get it. You can go Steve Austin's a badass. He doesn't like his his boss. And then you can watch him come out and go, I get it. You could go on and on and on about the absurdity that you should see with the character of The Undertaker. And then see him walk out and go, Okay, I get I it. Understand. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, just saying, if you want to know for like the definitive answer to who he is and what he's all about, check out patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. Well, you will learn all about the fact that The Undertaker is, in fact, guarding Hell's prison, Stygian. So you'll have your definitive answers there. Oh, you old Stygian in the mudge. Adam, I thought before we got into it, yeah. we could maybe pass back and forth some soft volleys. Mm-hmm. 
of of our fave Undertaker moments because as a part of Undertober, we have been doing lots of artwork for Undertale. No, as part of Undertober, we have should have checked that hashtag. As part of Undertober, we've been putting up some throwback Thursdays of some classic episodes mm-hmm. and looking into you know some of the ones that are more centered around the Dead Man. Mm-hmm. And we had you know things like Judgment Day two thousand. We've had the new Best of Season two come out. As a little bit of refreshers, any of those moments that have stood out for you in The Undertaker's career as like pure fan moments for Adam Bibolo. Yeah, so I've picked three. First of all, and this is hypocritical because it's a character that we shat all over. Right from the get-go, we shat on this and said it was crap. But- the great Cali, but he laid out The Undertaker, man. <laughs> Where he got Ali lying on his back by the gunslinger Joe Frazier. But undeniably, Undertaker's return at Judgment Day 2000 is fantastic. Mm. And I, you know, I will never yeah. forget that as a child, that was genuinely magical to me because I'd almost forgotten about The Undertaker at that point, And then he came back with a completely new look, completely new character. And it was over as fuck back then. Forget how it's aged, forget what it feels like in 2020. At the time, that was genuinely, genuinely magical. Because at that time, it felt like in that exact moment, The Undertaker had been explained to all of us who were watching him for only a year or two at that point, And it was, he is the big dog and this mm-hmm. is his yard. It and is. they were very much, they were saying like, if things get so off kilter, so wrong immorally, that this fucking demon biker's got to come up and just say, right, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm just going to beat everyone's ass. And I kind of, I got sense to that. I was going to say, that's definitely one of my picks as yeah. well. And, and I would actually go further then to say, it's some of the stuff that's coming up in 1997. I don't know if you've seen it, but a lot of Undertaker versus the original incarnation of DX, once they mm. call themselves DX officially. And again, you have that sense of these fucking jokers have just been running roughshod, doing what they want, but like daddy's home now, you yes. know, the teacher's here, you know, sketch, <laughs> sketch, sketch. You know, they're here now. That's it. And you're going to, he, he will unleash justice like you've never seen before. And, you, I don't think there is anyone like that in wrestling. There hasn't been for a good few years now where it's like, ah, you know, maybe Becky Lynch, you know, the man comes around is yeah. the closest we've had to that. Yeah, you're right. There's not this one sort of like, I mean, I, I guess I can see finally after all these years why he is called the conscience of the WWF because he is literally like the guardian that is there to make sure things are going smoothly. Like, Yeah, unfortunately, he's transitioned into being the consciousness of the WWF and that's nowhere near as good. <laughs> unquestionably one of my absolute favorite moments and again i'm gonna say it, it it's it seems silly and over the top and all that jazz but it it's what got me hooked into wrestling it was him you know being always willing to pull the character in a slightly different direction it's the black wedding with yeah. stephanie i fucking adore it i absolutely do and like i i was listening to some of the season one recently and billion the the constant cry of you know this is like you know buffy the vampire slayer mm-hmm. villains and i'm kind of thinking back to 2015 or 2016 when i watched all of buffy with joe and i'm thinking <laughs> ah, yeah, that's not a bad thing actually <laughs> you know and, and and that trashy level is just about wrestling i have yeah, you know so i true. i you know a great villain you know with great presentation and and in particularly during that I didn't even like that Ministry of Darkness run a lot himself, mm. but I'll always remember that fondly as a result. It's the presentation of all of that. He seemed like the devil incarnate. My next one, I'm going to say, is in, I think it was 2015, when he had that summer slash winter long feud, like the revenge feud with Brock Lesnar. Oh! To, 
to get his revenge from the streak because after he lost the streak at 30 and then he beat Bray Wyatt at 31 Ugh. there was for me that was the first palpable time where I was like this guy literally can't work it anymore he needs to retire now and then he had that feud with Brock Lesnar and specifically the moment where there's a huge pull apart brawl the whole roster is there trying to separate Brock and Undertaker and then Brock shouts, I'm going to kill you. And Undertaker shouts, you're going to have to. And I remember being like, fuck, he's still got it. He can still go. And actually, I genuinely still enjoy those matches they had that year. I thought that was quite a good little feud they had going. Yeah, the SummerSlam and Hell in the Cell matches, mm-hmm. they absolutely held up, you know. And it's always funny when I think back to a lot. And, you know, I, I think I couldn't help but reflect a lot on the pay-per-views I did for, for How to Wrestling. For that Patreon page, I've been reviewing all of the WWE pay-per-views since SummerSlam 2015, mm. which was, that was when Undertaker had that match ah, with, with Lesnar. Of course. And I remember being feeling kind of, kind of quite selfishly enjoying a lot of those, but also feeling quite hard on them because they were so ineffective at getting a new fan at the time yeah. to like be invested in them. Mm. And it just kind of felt like, like for, for Joe, he was it only watching a year at that point. It felt a lot like all these other wrestlers have to kind of pretend to help this other wrestler yeah. feel like he used to feel. 10 years ago but like i got goosebumps right there when you're saying you're there you gotta have to kill me you'll have to you know the, the sit up the laughing like, i mean come yeah. on that stuff is fucking legendary the laugh that the the hell's gate where brock's giving him the finger as he slowly fades away undertaker had to low blow brock to win like little wrinkles like that made it so yeah. fucking good i will go in there now and i'm gonna have to say it was a glorious period, which recently dipped a toe back in the water. We were doing a pay-per-view classic with, with Mr. Billy Keeble joining us, sinking our teeth into that beautiful period of time with Vladimir Kozlov. Oh, but boy. before that, we had a legendary feud, which was Undertaker and Edge, one of my all-time oh. favorite feuds, looking back on it. Absolutely brilliant. You had Edge, who was just the ultimate opportunist definitely not in the undertaker's like threat stratosphere mm. but he had la familia he had chavo guerrero he had bam neely he had kurt <laughs> hawkins man <laughs> fucking get him zach Ryder. <laughs> and you know wrestlemania 24 it really stands up again that's another undertaker moment that mm. at the time i'm like i think i like this and then watching it back a few years later go no no i this is excellent and he's he actually managed to wrestle like have a feud that was all built up around numbers game and you know it being unfair and screw jobs and the Hell's Gate is banned. Yep. And then he told the story through wrestling matches of him just overcoming it. The TLC match Undertaker and Edge, that's one of the best TLC matches of all time. And Undertaker, as I now know from the documentary, was an excruciating pain leading up to those to those matches as well, which it's beggar's belief. I, I saw a clip from it a couple of days ago where Undertaker does the Bubba Ray Dudley spot off the top of the ladder, right through the tables on the outside of the ring. And he was like, he must have been in his 40s at that point easily. Yeah, like, and like not a high flyer. Fucking terrifying. Can't believe he was doing stuff like that. You got another Taker classic moment for me? Yeah, my third and my final one. This might be controversial, but just in terms of like genuine feeling the magic of The Undertaker and feeling the character the way WWE wants you to feel the character. Sincerely, the Boneyard match from this year's WrestleMania is, Mm. honest to God, one of my favorite Undertaker moments ever because I was so positive that we would never, ever again have a good Undertaker match in any form. And they did this thing where it was because it was cinematic, they managed to get around his limitations. They managed to make him look more like a proper Undertaker like you want to see. And the story they told in that match of him getting the shit beat out of him, AJ Styles taunting him, he's just an old man, he can't go anymore. 
and then boom the gong he's suddenly he's fucking reanimated and he's back from the dead he is the the phenom of old and he kills that boy honestly i've not felt that kind of undertaker magic in a very 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 long time and i was so impressed that they found a way to pull that off in 2020 to the point now that match since wrestlemania yes because i've not yeah yes and i don't think it's quite as magical upon rewatching because it's got a lot of silly stuff it's obviously silly and very campy and there's fucking ninjas and you know gallows and anderson are there and there's there's lots of silly stupid little bits in it but on the whole i just couldn't believe that they actually found a way to make the undertaker still have some sort of impact and threat about him and now from now on i just hope that every year we get a cinematic undertaker match because that is definitely what he's suited to i'm really excited to get to the episode where we will get to cover that Mm. match because i was so enamored with another match on that card that i felt that it played second fiddle to to that but i think We'll have a a proper discussion about that as the series goes on. I'm torn for my last pick of a a classic Undertaker moment. I think this really underlines in my head that I think he's definitely one of those people. He taken for granted. That that you kind of go, that was great. He feels taken for granted, but when you really think about it, he's easy to criticize. I did Royal Rumble 2002 for pay-per-view classic. Mm. Maven and The Undertaker. Oh, magic it's such a fun moment it is so much fun that whole sequence where maven like his facial expressions his reaction how he drags it out his fucking Mm -hmm. bitterness exquisite but you know another thing which i I did recently was i reviewed the wrestler and and it made me think about wrestlemania 25 again in a match that i was so fortunate to see live Mm. i think a match which as I saw it so early into my live wrestling experience, and I've not seen a lot of live wrestling. It may have ruined most live wrestling <laughs> for me. But uh, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, yeah. WrestleMania 25, that was an, an honest-to-goodness, out-of-body experience. It's like my consciousness went somewhere else, and I experienced this pure, raw... I was hooked into 80,000 other people, and we were all cheering this, that, and the other, and it just, like, I was exhausted afterwards. I had to mm. fucking lie down, and it was incredible. And... It's good to have all these in our back pockets when we're heading into what will be no doubt a trying look back on some of these recent offerings from The Undertaker. Yeah, I mean, we were very we were very nice there. We had a lot of favourable things to say. Just to show you here, Kevin, in my notes, that's the, if you can see at the top here, that's the list of Undertaker nice things I had to write about him. And then underneath yep. it, I made a list of the negative Undertaker moments. Oh, and if you can see just oh, how that's long... a scroller. That's a big that's, scroller. That's a scroller, yeah. And maybe we won't have time to get into some of those today, but I just want you to know that I think we've almost maxed out our generosity here for nice things we can say about them. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I mean, I, I was going to mention, like, we could do some bad Undertaker moments, but I feel like we're about to get into a five-part series of mostly <laughs> bad Undertaker <laughs> moments, and I don't think that's really fair. <laughs> okay, I will ask instead one question. Okay. When was the first time, assuming you've had this moment, and I'm almost sure you have, think of this at home as well. When was the first time when you saw The Undertaker performing in some capacity and you thought, hmm, he's not like he was. Okay, genuinely, I think I know this um, because a lot of the Attitude Era stuff, yes, looking back in hindsight, it's not as good as it would have been back then. But I, you know, up until a certain point, I wasn't really critically thinking about wrestling. I was just, you know, enjoying it for entertainment. Mm. And it was when I was at university and I got back into wrestling around 2011, 2012, it was when The Undertaker was going for his second match with Triple H and he was talking about how he'd kept cutting his hair until Triple H would say yes. 
and I remember literally just thinking like, that's so weird. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? You're the Undertaker and you think you, this guy's going to have a match with you because you keep cutting your hair. And I think that was the first time the sort of the glass shattered a little bit and it was like, ah, oh, this is never going to be, he's never going to recover from this in my mind. Like my opinion of him was permanently affected from that point. So for you, it was an actual like character moment taking yes. place outside of not the a, ring. Not a wrestling moment, yeah. I think for me, it was, it was WrestleMania 27. Okay. It was, it was him and Triple H. And that was just because look, 24 with Edge, great match. Sorry, let's we can go further back. 23 Batista, great match. 21 with Randy Orton, great match. You know, 20 with Kane, great match. 22 with Mark Henry, yeah, an all right match. But like, you had a streak of incredible matches. Mm. And I was a lot more invested in the streak, having been to see the streak. WrestleMania 26 was like uh, probably one of the most invested I've been for WrestleMania before WrestleMania 30, I think. Mm. Like, it was probably the most invested I've been since I was a child because of the streak and because of specifically Shawn Michaels in the streak. And WrestleMania 27, you know, it it was a disappointment for many respects. More on that in our best of mm. season two that's just dropped. <laughs> but I specifically remember in that match kind of going, you're just hitting each other with a chair now. Yeah. And it made me realize Undertaker and Shawn Michaels matches maybe were better because Shawn Michaels had this ability with both emotion and a pace to bring something else in a different style of match out of The Undertaker. Whereas the slow brawl, which I'm used to seeing The Undertaker doing at a main event WrestleMania level, actually is starting to be somewhat lacking now. Mm-hmm. I had the same thing when I watched Sting in TNA in 20, 2012 and 2013. At the start, I'm like, ah, it's Sting. This is great to finally get to see him. And I'm like, what he's doing ain't great. Mm-hmm. And it's very obvious that he's been helped by other people now. Mm-hmm. When the dance partner isn't the right dance partner... It ain't good. And that, like, that says a lot about me as a wrestling fan that I'm like, the match is really good and you're covering for it, but I'm getting the sense that one of you is pulling your weight, not as much as the other, or one person is really overcompensating yeah. for the other. It's because it's The Undertaker. If yeah. I feel that about anyone, you know, if you're overcompensating for John Cena or Roman Reigns, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, great. That's fine. But if you're overcompensating for The Undertaker, alarm bells ring for me. And they started ringing in 27. And I think every match, like, that's why 28 and 29 were such surprises for yes. me. And so impactful. And they deliberately played into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the whole story of 28, basically. And again, like you were saying, Shawn Michaels' involvement. At 28, Shawn Michaels was there. He was like a third of that match being the referee. So, of course, it had a lot more emotion and it had a lot more drama going into it. Yeah, I think you're right, though. That that 27 match, as much as I tried to convince myself that it was a real nail-biter and an exciting match, it was just another fucking... Let's just beat each other up. Let's hit each other with our big moves and that'll be it then. And I've watched it many times. Mm. I watched it for, when I watched it live, I rewatched it when I got it on DVD because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And uh, I watched it for the Adjira podcast. And I also watched it for, there was a guy who was doing a podcast about The Undertaker's streak. And Mm. he said, I want you to have you on to talk about Undertaker and Triple H. I'm like, awesome, great. Attitude era. I'm going to watch 17. He's like, (laughs) no, no, no. 27. I'm like, fuck's sake. (laughs) Let's get into the documentary, shall we? Let's get into it. Let's start chapter one of The Last Ride. Chapter one, The Greatest Fear. Well, The Greatest Fear. I mean, in wrestling, I always thought The Greatest Fear was shitting yourself in the ring. I mean, I just figured that is (laughs) got to be across the board. That's The Greatest Fear, right? I would much rather become a parody of myself than shit myself on national television, for sure. Oh, oh, we'll get into some intrinsic fears of parody in a minute. Don't you (laughs) you (laughs) worry. There is a lot of hyperbole in this documentary, and I would say one of the biggest 
I don't know if it's a fa- I don't know if it's a failing or not, but it's one of the biggest issues of the documentary, and certainly it's very noticeable. Is that the documentary is at great odds about telling you this is the greatest motherfucker of all time, mm. but also really hitting you over the head of when he lets you down or when he's not up to scratch, when he's let himself down, when he's at the company down. If it's not up to the standard that has been set, the first line of the, every episode is "There is only one man who has stood the test of time." That's a fucking hefty moniker. It is. Jesus. It is. And you almost feel like they should have just spent this entire first episode just telling you about why he's important and why he's the best of all time. Because you're right, they're trying to tell at the same time, this guy is the greatest of all time, and also this guy has got no confidence left and he's not that good anymore. They're trying to tell these two narratives simultaneously, and it makes it kind of like... He doesn't come off as as special as he should. Just confused, I guess. But but good? No, but bad. And Undertaker here, he's got one simple request. Boy, I'm going to take you to school. And you best respect my feet. You best not tread on me, boy. Boy, you you best respect my my basic grasp of the the war of independence. (laughs) So, yeah, we we, we can comment on his attire throughout the whole series. Today, he's got a don't tread on me cap. And uh, is he wearing the Blue Lives Matter t-shirt here? I can't remember. No, no, this is the thin blue line where it is. uh, This is is something that's used for for police advocates across America. It's a map of the United States of America. You also can sometimes see it as a version of the US flag with a blue line running through the middle of it because, you know, there's nothing more patriotic than fucking up a flag. Yeah, great (laughs) job. Oh, I'm sorry. When I painted blue and all wrong, it's somehow okay. But when I dash with a bit of fire, it's wrong. I don't understand. (laughs) Now, what I've never understood, this is getting into American politics, so we won't stay on it long, but I... I, Oh, mate, leave the politics out. Can't you just be like Undertaker and leave the politics out of it? Can't you just wear a dicey hat instead? No, I'm not not saying anything good or bad. I just want someone to explain to me because I never understood why for a country that has so many crime problems why they have all of their police force in a thin line across the middle <laughs> like because surely Look, that means they've got to drive further to get to places superintendent roan atkinson said this was the way no listen this was the way all right and i bet you're all thinking oh kevin that's a very racist example exactly yes it is it's <laughs> the thin blue line is pretty much that and a little bit homophobic as well while we're at it don't watch it it's really bad now <laughs> Freedom of expression is the greatest thing in the world. And politics suck. Like, listen to Vince McMahon. Politics suck. And everyone's like, any time I've mentioned, like, oh, mate, leave the politics out of it. Mm-hmm. He's wearing two polit... Every <laughs> to camera. Every single one. Yeah. Every to camera Always. Two. Not one. <laughs> two contentious pieces of... Ad- Seriously. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, just ignore it, though, Kevin. Just don't get political, man. Just just pay it no bother. Like, what was Sami Zayn wearing on the Blind Boy podcast? I want to know. I wonder if he was making it <laughs> political or not. Like, you know, it's, it's just so fucking ridiculous to me. Because, as well, even if you are just, oh, man, politics suck. If you just have that, like, basic, like, I only learn my politics from what they reflect on WWE television. Mm. So I know that Saving the Planet is bad and QAnon is probably good. But, like... <laughs> But like, honestly, don't tread on me, Jack Swagger and yeah. the All of Like they were so obviously the heels. Yeah, they were firmly, firmly the bad guys with the don't tread on me flag. 
What's the matter, Undertaker? Are you another stupid wrestling person in inverted commas? <laughs> like, we have to get Glenn Beck back out here. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Don't tread on me. Don't bring it up. How about that? Like, let me there just have go. a hat with a snake who's like just kind of like backed up a little bit. No apples or anything near them. No fucking boots on the ground. No. He's sitting back and he's watching it, all right? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's coming at you as well. When he says, Don't tread me, he means you, the British. <laughs> Yeah, you got to sleep with one eye open, mate. Yeah, and you know what? Some of us didn't need to write it down in so many words. Some of us just got on with it, didn't we? We just got on with it and got our revenge through low-level animosity in podcasts. <laughs> but they are framing here in the intro a bit that you know he is obsessed with not putting on any performance that could be viewed as like less than stellar, mm-hmm. which is like all right, that's less than stellar like, all right like that's pretty pretty hard go of it there mark it's literally 60 seconds into the introduction here when you hear him say my biggest fear is becoming a parody of myself and that will be the run like the running thing throughout the whole series is undertaker is terrified of becoming a parody of what he used to be he says that two or three separate occasions i believe in tonight's episode so yeah mm-hmm. and also the the opening is very weird they're talking about this man is the greatest wrestling icon of all time they're talking about how this man is scared of becoming a parody and maybe he's not quite as good as he used to be and all of this is set to the backdrop of big scary like war of the world style horror going like I think the bravery of like really this it was eye-catching you're WrestleMania where they have a documentary trailer like hey the Undertaker maybe he's a bit shit isn't he like, mm-hmm. it's, whoa hang on, whoa all right and them kind of framing it in the kind of the context of disappointment and expectation mm-hmm. and all that but it did really kind of ring true to me that for The Undertaker, particularly at this point in his career, that's a near impossibility, particularly going back to 2017, because like the fans are never going to really be unified and say this guy, like, this guy is, is pastor, this guy is like really needs to step aside because mm-hmm. for every one of the if you back home is this and kind of going, but I thought the Undertaker was pastor and should retire. For every one of you, there's fifty people like you with two championship belts on each shoulder going, The Undertaker <laughs> should wrestle at WrestleMania forty five yep. against the Miz's daughter. Like, <laughs> so you will always be outnumbered. Yeah. His peers, his respect level, like the conscious, the locker room leader, judge of the wrestler's court, his peers will never be like, Yeah, you should you know you know, dial it back in. No, the vibe I get from his peers, especially someone like Edge, who talks about it in this documentary, is very much, it's up to him when he retires. No one's going to tell him he's past it. He's done so much for this business that he's earned the right to go out on his own terms. No matter how bad he might get, it's on him to decide. It is always worrying when you see people from that level, like, you know, Undertaker and Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Hey, you can even throw, you know, Kane and the Big Show in there, just in terms of names who are so well known and were frequently used on TV or had like a element of star power to them but with the likes of michaels and and big show and kane and you know triple h to an extent as well you could tell when they wanted to wind it down and that was because of their own decision they decided i'm going to wind it down now and it kind of feels like you can never just expect that from other wrestlers from peers like i don't think the undertaker would ever really go that's it now that's me done i don't think he'll ever have that i think what it will always be is they will think of stuff like the boneyard match in ways where Mm -hmm. he can come out and do a bit and a flourish but i don't think he will arrive at the conclusions that all those other wrestlers i gave examples of did no being like sincere the way i predict undertaker's career going out is just literally he will be 
every now and then he'll come out, he'll do a choke slam, he'll say rest in peace, and then you'll see him again in another 12 months or whatever. And honestly, I'd be fine with that if that's literally what he wants to get down to. If he wants to carry on trying to have like 20 minute WrestleMania matches every year, then I'd be upset and say this has gone too far. But if he just can be the character that comes out and makes the crowd pop every once in a while, that's pretty harmless, I think. I've made a couple of vows to myself. I was going to count how many times he refers to himself as being a parody or fearful of becoming a parody. Mm -hmm. And also every time I see a knee injection that I was going to do something on the same side as well. So I've got here... I've got the special um, seawater nose spray, which is really good because my nose got quite dry recently being inside so much. Uh So it is kind of, it made me empathetic because it is unpleasant and Mm. it doesn't look very nice, obviously. And it's a bit, you know, I don't know. Like, we probably want to cut this out with the podcast later like they did with the the, 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 the rest of any documentary. (laughs) But I need, like, our nose is getting quite dry now, so I actually needed to perform. So I thought it would be an empathetic gesture for for me and Mark Calloway. So, Undertaker, I wrote here, you know it's going to be a good documentary when they show a knee injection in the sting. Jesus Christ. And that's what Kevin needs just to get himself in ring shape, ready to do a podcast. It's only going to get worse from here, Kev. No, no, I think I've got the quote from the Undertaker from from the the day of, if you remember. It's a living. (laughs) (laughs) What what is it? Is it ozone? <laughs> it's something crazy like that. Whoa! I'm just saying two more of those, Captain Planet. You gotta watch out. There's some bad <laughs> shit going down. All right. He's more ozone than man now. <laughs> Meg Ryan's gonna unleash him. You're fucked. <laughs> we start off with the chairman of the board, Vince McMahon. I I mean I really was interested in what Vince had to say here. Um, I got the quote here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. walking around, you know, it's the pick. Let me tell you. <laughs> What's it's, he saying? Only Adam Pierce knows. It sounds like a load of newspapers being crumpled up together. Yeah, we do a Vince McMahon promo for long enough. You get a nice hat at the end, don't you? Like, hey. <laughs> you got AJ Styles. Talking about the savage onslaught of time. Mm. I'm not sure how that works with him with the whole kind of sun having to rise and set and all that. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the days go by, man. The sun is switched on and rises up and it goes down out of degrees. You know? <laughs> While they're giving all of this kind of, you know, they're trying to make you compassion for the Undertaker, saying that look, we're he's at this point now because of his expectations and what he's yeah. trying to give to you. Uh, it did really say a lot about where my mindset was when the first image they showed was him on that cart at the end of WrestleMania 27. And it's someone saying to him, you're up. But the way it sounds like, because they cut it, it sounds like some Undertaker's there like, and some going, you're old. Oh, damn. There's a really sad quote here. And this, again, like you said before, this is the bravery of Undertaker and WWE for choosing to do something like this now of all times. Undertaker says here, what happened to me? I used to be one tough son of a bitch. What happened? Like, that's sad. I'm going to go out on a performance that fits the Undertaker character, or I'm going to go out on my shield, man. And that's said a lot. During the match, which we'll be watching in a bit, they say that a lot as well. Going out in your shield, like, is that some sort of a... Like, oh, you're not going to fall on your sword, though. Don't say that. It's weak. You like, yeah. you go out on your shield. Honestly, I, I've never heard that before. Like, you, you, you go out on your feet, you fall on your sword, you die on your feet. But going out on your shield, like... All right. 
how big's the shield? Because he's pretty like he's a Roman shield. He's a big he's a big man, Adam. You know. I was picturing like Boromir's shield, like a big round one like that that you could have a good shield surfing. Actually, would work quite well on that. <laughs> you say Boromir, <laughs> and I just <laughs> I just have this. WrestleMania 33 Undertaker bad on his feet like walking around you know, his hands up like you know. and there's Roman Reigns with a bow <laughs> do you remember at the end of that match when uh, Roman Reigns speared him off a waterfall and then Kane is like and we will walk together and my city, and we will be the... Here come the kings of Gondor. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the, the title uh, appears, Undertaker, The Last Ride. We have some grunts there in the background. Like, yeah. Kind of kaiju levels of it. We are covering a period of time from 2017 to 2020 with some dips in the water kind of before there. And, you know, kind of looking back for some context. We are going to cover all the matches that happened from 2017 onwards. Mm -hmm. There are some matches to make reference to. We decided not to do them all because there's such little to talk about retrospectively. And we may want to do those pay-per-views themselves for a boys pick that none of you will vote for. I feel like the way we decide whether we're going to cover a match in this series or not is if they show you, like, potted highlights of the match set to some WWE Network-friendly music. Like, oh, oh, ah. <laughs> it's so fucking oh my god i i want you adam if any occur to you with you know, somebody who's made documentaries you have an amazing eye and ear for for these details i feel like i would react like a pavlov's dog to some of the kind of tropes that they use because i've watched so many of these fucking documentaries now and there's mm. so many of those it's the day of the event like yeah. i feel like i am set up to react like my hairs start reacting in a way ahead of what happens because they use so many of these cues mm. i will say i think we were in agreement that we were so familiar with the old wwe dvd documentary style that when the network came along and they did like a hard reboot of like our documentaries are going to look like this we were well into it at the time because it was fresh and it was new and it was a bit more grown-up kind of documentary making but now they've just not really evolved their style at all over the years. And the network documentaries are pretty stale. But The Last Ride does do a few different interesting things that you don't normally get. It's it's the freshest documentary they've made in a while, I would say. They have a very good house style. The mm. problem is their insistence on documenting absolutely mm -hmm. every fucking thing which means the house style is kind of betrayed by the content i find a lot because you know yeah. you've got them doing this real like emotional like, oh, 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 oh and ages like and that was the most important episode of smackdown yeah, ever I know. And, you know it's it's like or like what did shinsuke nakamura do the night before backlash i don't fucking care honestly like, we <laughs> don't need a documentary for fucking everything uh, uh, you know what i love is that they're they're shortening now and the latest one is like wwe day of but it's like what happened before Night of Champions, but just the, the ladder match that y'all liked, you know, what happened before that <laughs> bit? Sake. 14 minute documentary, great stuff. <laughs> so three days before WrestleMania 33, The Undertaker, for the first time in his career, allows his comings and goings and the behind the scenes to be documented. Now, he has appeared on some of the documentaries, um, mm. Triple H, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, he's appeared on those. 
I'm pretty sure he was in that weird The Mania of WrestleMania documentary they did at WrestleMania 19 as well. It was like a feature-length film. Yes, that was the kind of the... That's a, that's a great it's really good. doc. Really I good. only saw that for the first time because uh, Adam Bibble over here had the special edition on DVD. Yeah, it yeah. Very it's a very good film. Yeah, the, the fifth one's got commentary by Fraser, Niles, and Daphne Moon. <laughs> it happened in Seattle, all right? <laughs> Undertaker, very, very brave to allow himself to be documented at all. Three days yeah. before WrestleMania, stressful times. And at the peak of his bucket hat wearing phase as well. Even Aww, braver still. He looks like he's off on his fishing trip, doesn't he? Oh, I thought he was coming off the DX Express. Like, <laughs> there you can go. You can do the, the Run DMC DX, but with Undertaker gods. Degeneration! What happened to me? Woo! All right. <laughs> this, yeah, we do get a real look at how fucking torn up he is over the fact that he's let himself get to this point. You can just tell that he he won't admit it, but he wished he'd retired a while ago. Probably after the Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania, I would have thought. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bits here that I don't think they intended to. And it's just, I think, honestly, and, and, and it's no one's fault but my own. That my viewing diet recently it seems to have been particularly set up to make me view this in the most like worst way possible, essentially. Because mm. I just watched The Wrestler and Oof. I also watched Survivor Series 1998. So I've seen like peak presentation Undertaker, mm-hmm. un- unquestionable position on the card in Mystique. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen like when he was there with Jim Cornette and Jimmy Hart and they were looking at him like he was their dad. And they were yeah. like, hey, I'm so great to see you here, man. It's so great. It's so great. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm like I'm like Santa Claus to come here once. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I shake your hand again? And like, look, I'd be sycophantic too. Don't worry. Like, he's fucking a legend, and they're yeah. very grateful for him. He has made their business something else. But it just reminded me of the scene in the wrestler where he's sitting there doing the autographs, and mm. he's looking around, seeing the people who are like, these were the old guys when I was coming up. Yeah. And, and now, like, I'm here sat next to them because I'm one of the old guys. Mm-hmm. And it just, I didn't need to see some of the footage. And it just, it shows you the double-edged sword of protecting him from so long. Because even basic things like, here's The Undertaker meeting like fucking X-Pac or Heath Slater in a hallway. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes have a bit of a tinge of sadness to them. And I don't think it's on purpose. No, I think it is, like you say, it's the virtue of the fact that he's been so protected. That even the smallest things like that seem kind of weird and shockingly humanizing like you know if you see the undertaker like putting his shoes on and tying his laces or putting on a pair of socks that feels sad because it's like he's a human being he has to do regular shit too yeah when vader does it in wrestling with shadows it's one of the most humanizing things ever when he puts those like honestly those laces i'm like all right forgive you for the ear and the paralysis and all it's fine it's fine just like me he invests his money in in property did you hear that and you can look at him lace them boots (laughs) maybe it's because i'm a former shoe salesman i'm just really like all right you got it buddy maybe vader can you lace these up for me real tight i did (laughs) I did like the brief appearance of Roman here, who I've got a lot of time for Roman Reigns. Mm. And I loved their interaction. They felt so like at peace with each other. It felt really like genuine. Like when he showed up at the hotel, he's like, shit, man, you can't kayfabe for 10 minutes. And Roman looks at his camera crew and goes, fuck your camera crew. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cute. so cute. And I will say back in the time in 2017, I still didn't buy the idea of Roman Reigns being a locker room leader. 
seeing the footage of him hanging out with the likes of The Undertaker, the way he carries himself, he absolutely is a locker room leader for sure. He's He is the big dog. And watching Roman Reigns in 2020 and seeing him here, you cannot deny like the evolution, both as like a character, obviously his character is very different now, but like mm-hmm. I think skill set wise and just... He seems a lot more sure-footed. As someone who watched a lot of those early S.H.I.E.L.D. documentaries mm. and Roman wasn't in the desert with Dirty Dean looking cool. He was there <laughs> sitting around looking awkward in the studio. Yeah. He's doing a lot better here. There is kind of a discussion here where they purposely don't go into the details. And I think it's because of who they're talking to, Kurt Angle. And I think if you went into the details, he'd have not a few nice things to say about WWE. Mm. But Kurt talks about the grind, about... If you are on that grind year in, year out, doing every single show, it's fucking killer. You know, you're on the road constantly. You're on every town, every single house show, every loop. You don't miss a thing. It, you know, as soon as the pay-per-view is done, next night it's raw over mm-hmm. and over and over. And then it's made out that the lighter schedule is something that you want to actually be aiming for. But they kind of circle... They talk about it a little bit later on. But, like... <laughs> Undertaker's like, well, I can't work a full schedule now. Deal with it. Yeah. But, like, Kurt was definitely saying not working a full schedule is almost bad in a way because your body atrophies and you don't get used to it, the ring rust. They never really tease out the difficulty with those two approaches, I don't think, for someone like The Undertaker. Yeah, it's a very fine balance because I, I, I get it. It's like Stone Cold says it as well here that, like, when you're working all the time you're constantly in ring shape your body gets callous to the kind of pain you work through it but when you do it like once a year or whatever you notice it hit you like a ton of bricks like it's unavoidable and there's no real way of reconciling those two different schedules they don't come to any sort of conclusion about that hey adam i'm just wondering though how are you doing can i I can barely see you in the aftermath in in all the wreckage of this bombshell has been dropped in 2019 when this was assumedly filmed with the undertaker saying I can't work a full schedule. Deal with it. Like, yeah. really? It's like Mick Foley saying, I can't tie my shoes. Like, really? Seriously? Like, oh, wow. Like, who'd have thought? You know, honestly, I it does he... I really struggled in this documentary to figure out what he thinks we all think of him. Like, does yeah. he genuinely think we're all going, come on, Undertaker, four more years, hit the, give him the belt. Like, really? I feel like, because we will see throughout this documentary that Undertaker's mind changes a lot. I feel like he's someone that goes through a lot of emotions and that affects how he feels about things. Mm. And I feel like at his worst times, he probably thinks the fans think that he's past it. And he probably reckons that everyone thinks he's too old to go anymore. But there is a lot of times in this where he sort of has the mentality of like, I'm still delivering and I'm still delivering the excellent performance that people expect of me and I'll only stop once people start to think that I'm past it. So he he goes back and forth. The only people are going to tell me when I'm done <laughs> you people right here. <sighs> Picks him up for the tombstone. Oh no, they've fallen over. Cut to black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it cuts to black as they fuck up the finish again. More on that in a little bit. <laughs> I wonder, though, that kind of whole Undertaker trying to prove himself to a contingent... Like, if you're trying to prove yourself to a contingent of fans who I would say at best are fantastical in Mm. their understanding of things, like, that's why you get Undertaker coming out going, like, I'm coming into the Royal Rumble and I'm going to be on SmackDown every week. Like, stop it, mate. Like, that does you so much more disservice when he's like, I'm back and better than ever. Shut it. No, you're not. Stop it. Honestly, stop pretending. That's all we want is you to stop pretending that you're something that you're not anymore. Never not impressive to see Undertaker in his debut in 1990. Mm. Like, just, I think, oh, 
you said earlier, and it's something I love about it, it's just, he fits so perfectly in that 1990 Hogan era. This is the tail end of that Hogan era. Mm-hmm. So perfectly fits in there. You know, the Jake the Snake and Ric Flair, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. Just a little bit too cartoony for its own good, and I love it. And I can't think of anyone whose character has just went with those ebbs and flows of fitting into the time when they were... Maybe Jericho, I think, is probably the only other person yeah. I can think of. But Jericho's character has never been like a huge, fantastical, you've got to see it to believe it large. Like, he's yeah. a wrestler. He is a wrestler. That's his character. Undertaker is unique in that he is this ridiculously over-the-top character and still works in every era that you put him in. Even an era where the most impressive thing you can say about him is, Look at the size of that hammock! So we get this montage here of all these legends saying really complimentary, really fantastic things about The Undertaker. And then we get one soundbite from Bret Hart for this entire episode. The only thing he had to say (laughs) nice about The Undertaker. I always thought he was like Frankenstein and you couldn't do much to him. (laughs) Like He was a pain to work with, basically. Some monster that is, you know. Come on. (laughs) Oh, I just as well go watch Van Helsing see a real Frankenstein. You know? <laughs> see Hugh Jackman, you know, the great, the greatest showman. <laughs> uh, oh, there it is. I literally, my first note I wrote for this is chapter one: the greatest fear. I predict a greatest showman joke from Kevin at some point. <laughs> we got there in the end. We finally got there. Don't you wanna hurt your knees? <laughs> <laughs> Ric Flair says he's the greatest character of all time. I will say about Brett, Brett, Brett and his book, and I think, you know, uh, we, we've, we've talked about possibly doing some bibliotheques that, you know, I've perhaps read and that you get a chance to read and, and oh, still yes. feedback. Brett's book would be a very interesting one to do at some point, but he goes in a lot of depth about why the Undertaker character works and specifically why a fantastical character or a character that's, you know, elements of the fantastique in it mm-hmm. works well with a straight-laced character grounded in reality like Bret Hart. And mm-hmm. I think... SummerSlam 1997, it seems like a lifetime ago we were talking about that show, but that really was one of those, like, I feel Billy and you got more out of 97 Undertaker than the previous, like, fucking 10 years combined. Absolutely, 100% we did. He explains some of the kind of main, I don't want to say just gimmicks, but like one of the main kind of beats of the Undertaker character, specifically the pacing of his matches, and I do like Mm. when wrestlers kind of open up about this, it's one of the more kind of quiet, like, not heard of bits, Austin does talk a bit about it. But talking about how he likes his matches at a very slow pace at the beginning and then to punctuate it with these fast moments mm-hmm. of like, you can't believe it. Like he chooses to use his athleticism at these moments where it will really shock you. It is completely in countenance probably to the to the modern style, which is kind of to hit the ground running a little bit. Yeah. And I like both styles equally. You know, that being said, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's saying that Undertaker's way of doing things is best. But if you're a big guy and you can bust out a flip or you can bust out a fucking jump, or you can sprint really impressively. Do it like Undertaker, you know? Yeah. I'm. Do you ever get like this weird feeling that Undertaker looks so much bigger back in those very early years? Like, oh, yeah. when they show you this footage of him being slow and methodical, he looks ginormous compared to his opponents. I don't know if that's just the roster has changed over the years, okay. or something about Undertaker's physicality or his stance has changed. So we'll pop on the old biology hat for a moment, and I can reveal to you, it's one of the things that does happen in wrestling, and people don't like to talk about a lot in wrestling, because height is one of the most 
made-up, batshit, bananas, mm-hmm. belubas, stupid fucking things in wrestling ever. Yep. Height in wrestling is so much more stupid than weight because at least with weight, you can be deceptively heavy or deceptively tall. Yes. You know, it's like me during lockdown where I was, I didn't work out for the last month. I'm like, I'm losing weight. No, you're just getting weaker, you dumbass. You know? <laughs> the muscle and fat weigh different things. So the weight can mm-hmm. be, you know, you can get away with embellishing the weight. The height and the insistence that people remain the same height over the years. Mm-hmm. Like Hogan came out when he was doing his like, whoa, I, I'm sad now and I've written a shit book. You know, when he came out doing that a few years ago and he, he one of the things he talked about was that he lost like two or three inches from doing the leg drop because it landed right. on his arse every night. And, you know, he was like, if I knew that, I would have done the sleeper hold instead. And basically, it was like mm. one of those things where it's like, yeah, people like Roddy Piper had an easy brother, not like me, when I was out there busting my ass, literally doing the devastating leg drop. If you keep attacking your spine over and over again, or keep landing on your feet over and over again, or keep impacting your joints over and over again, you will lose height. Like, the space in between your joints will become lessened. The mm-hmm. fluid in between those joints, be it because of your know, arthritis and stuff like that, it can wear away, it can leak out, you can have less of it. You know, Terry Funk got shorter just because, you know, you shrivel as you get older anyway, mm-hmm. but literally his joints became more compacted up against his body. Basically, you need to do knee, Terry, <laughs> what I'm saying. You need to do knee. Well, can I get around comfortably? That, but you'll be, you can keep going like this, Terry, you'll be five foot three in a week, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like in JoJo where there's that stand that makes you slightly smaller and smaller and you don't realize, but wrestlers do shrink. And The Undertaker, I would guess is probably a good two to three inches shorter now right. than he was back then. And that being said, Adam, for him to go all that time and that's the only height he's lost, that probably says a lot about me, like, respecting the Undertaker. It, probably it's more, but I'm just like, oh, I reckon it's only that because he's the Undertaker. But I he's mean, been wrestling for fucking 30 years. Yeah, but I mean, if if we all had ozone injected into our knees, I reckon I would probably retain my height a little bit better as well anyway. Yeah, and once they gave him those stretching powers, like in the game that mutant <laughs> DNA, it kind of, the height thing really went out the window <laughs> anyway. So, you know... <laughs> The big glowing green syringe into the knee. But look, here's the thing, folks. Yes, your favorite wrestlers are slowly getting shorter, but if it makes you feel any better, you are too. So, you know, hopefully (laughs) we'll all shrink at the same rate together. As long as they make the ring smaller by the same rate, then we'll never notice it anyway, like... Exactly, that's all it is. It was slowly... Like, they got a bit bigger for a bit in 07. That's why TNA had the six-sided ring, wasn't it? Just to to make room (laughs) for that. They were getting a little bit more four-dimensional. But look, everyone is getting smaller. Except for me. I continue to be very tall. And will always be. Okay. The eye roll, he says, is something that just happened in a match. He was wrestling Greg Valentine, choking him in the corner. I think that's really cool that it just happened because it, you know, honestly, it looks great. Man's probably given himself no shortage of eye defects and glaucoma and shit from that. Honestly, playing silly with your eyes ain't good to do. The streak as well, I think we mentioned this on on the season one, that it just kind of happened. You know, it wasn't something that really was... It was more reflective of the fact that they always booked him solidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he said himself here that literally one day someone mentioned to him, like, you know, you'd never lost at WrestleMania. And he was literally like, cool. All right, I guess. We talked then about something that was probably a bit eye-opening for, for me and for most of the people who were, who were watching this, yourself included, was that he's like going into those matches with Michaels, like 25, 26, and the one with, with Triple H. He says it's basically a period of five years there where he was on this grind where he was in non-stop preparation for the match, training mm-hmm. to do the spots, to do the moves, to be limber. And then he'd have the match at WrestleMania. Then he'd have a surgery afterwards for something yep. that was bothering him beforehand. And then he'd get into the rehab for the surgery. 
which would then slowly turn into preparation for the match. And that's the whole year. Yep. Now, I know in lockdown, we're all having like the days and weeks kind of bleed into each other. But that's a five-year grind where because you're only resting once a year, it'd be very easy to convince yourself it's okay, isn't it? It's not worth it when you're spending like the other 11 months in agony and rehabbing and constantly getting surgery. Like it's... It sounds like five years of physical agony, to be honest with you. That sounds awful. It is the exact, almost to the letter, it's the exact arrangement that Terry mm. Funk himself had. Except, you know, right. Terry organized it all himself. Once Terry reached the kind of 50, 50-ish age range, I mean, this is how he said in his book. He'd be like, you know, I'd say there's going to be this big match this year. You know, this is the big match. This is the one where I'll try and book it or at least book it with the promoter. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just getting my payday. I'm getting the ticket sales, merch, concessions, all that jazz. You know, he, he would set up and be like, I can just about do it. I'll get to myself where I can have this one match and I'll spend the rest of the year then recovering from this match. Yeah. Just because, you know, I know I've got wood in me, but if I do any more, I'll probably hurt myself so much I won't be able to wrestle for two years. And that's what people are like, Terry Funk's wrestling when he's 73. That's how he did it. Now, Terry yeah. obviously has a lot looser definition of what's okay than the WWE doctors do. But... People would look at Terry Fungo, that was a fucking crazy man's schedule. People look at Undertaker and go, yeah, this is really good, this is helpful, this is really smart. It's still a crazy man's schedule. He shouldn't be wrestling, yeah. right? If he's in that much pain. Again, that's just part of, I think, The Undertaker being so protected. This is the first we're hearing about all this. No one really knew what an insanely horrible schedule that was for him back then. We were just assuming, like, he's working once a year, so I guess he does a couple months prep and then he gets to it. Genuinely, I thought he had three months, like a three or four month camp. Kind of, they'd start, mm. like, in December, getting ready, you know, after Thanksgiving and after, you know, Survivor Series time, getting ready for, for WrestleMania. Mm. And I figured he'd be sitting on a beach with a fucking cocktail in his hand the rest yeah. of the time going, this is the life. Well, you but would hope, no. after all his years of wrestling, you would hope that's, you know, he's earned that by now, surely. But no, it's a constant year-round physical toil. So, to lessen the blow of this, we have Triple H pop in and go, yeah, me too, basically. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, again, it was some more of that trademark WWE hyperbole, but Triple H going, by far, by far, the most mentally and the most physically the hardest thing I've ever had to do was wrestle once or twice a year for five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I mean, there's better ways to phrase it than that when you're talking to a roster that still, I'm going to say, got to resent the likes of particularly Triple H and, and, and Undertaker for that once a year schedule. Maybe Brock is more so resented because he gets, you know, he's less obviously hurt and has given less to the industry than, than Undertaker or Triple H yeah. has. But... I mean, I, I do genuinely understand what he's talking about with the physical and the mental toll, but I think it is very tone-deaf to sort of talk about how excruciatingly hard that is when you're getting, like, ginormous paydays and there are people working hideous, grueling schedules right, on the yeah. indies that are, like, wearing them out that Triple H has never had to deal with. Look, Ali, you just haven't gotten to the point yet where you have reached the physical and mental obstacles that is wrestling once or twice a year. Now, I know you're wrestling <laughs> once or twice a year because we're not using you, but we mean once Aww. or twice a year because you're in pain. So yeah. if you could get, I don't know, just get guys who are sitting in catering, just fucking get a lot more hurt. You know, they'll maybe respect <laughs> it somehow. Ridiculous. Oh, also as well, this is a great one. We're in chronic pain all the time as well, if you're the Undertaker. That's uh, mm-hmm. chronic. And he doesn't know the tr- this. <laughs> the true number of surgeries is unknown. 
That's not... Well, surely you can find that out. <laughs> How do you lose track of the amount of surgeries you've had? Oh, my God. That's... Like, even Mick Foley had a tally at the end of the day. Like, fucking hell, you know? The bit now in the performance center. Let me get the positive out of the way. Cool Andre the Giant shirt. You know? Yeah. The least problematic shirt he wore. Like, I think yeah. he like, Snooker is innocent or something <laughs> like that. Like, you know? <laughs> Put him back in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but the bit in the performance center, it's just Randy the Ram going, mm, Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to get big and strong. But they don't let us hear the grunts, which is the only thing I really want to see when I see The Undertaker lifting weights. Yeah, so instead we have him grimacing with, <laughs> Get 25% off WWE merchandise now with the hashtag, Not Able to Lift. <laughs> Use the code physically incapable now for <laughs> So the first two with Sean, he says he was just excessively sore. Yeah. The first one with Triple H brutal. They they show Triple H just wailing on him with a chair, like it feels cruel. Pretty much that was like a brutal was pretty much our estimation of it, I yeah. think. I, I think you Billy, I think and you were a little bit fonder of it, I think. Like mildly. Yes. Yeah, because I, I really enjoyed it at the time that I'd seen it. It was at like my first return to wrestling in a long time, so I had a fond memory of watching it, if nothing else. Here's the casual burial though. He goes, uh, the following two were pretty good. So that's <laughs> Hell in a Cell, End of an Era, and the one with CM Punk, which I would easily say outside of the the pair with Sean are the two best matches he's had. Agreed. And then he's like, and then Brock. Uh, we just don't know when or how he got concussed nope. still to this day. There is show one or two moments. There's one where he takes a German outside, and there's one where Brock just literally throws his head back onto the ground, and Undertaker yeah. just goes, oh! And you can tell there's like a bell ring in there, for sure. That's gotta be it, you would have thought. He says that he doesn't remember any of WrestleMania 30 past half past three in the afternoon. Like, just the re- the whole evening is just gone for him. Yeah, you know it's a bad WrestleMania when you plead the fifth on your actual involvement. <laughs> He's like, I, he like leaves me to the background. I have no recollection of that match. Or that <laughs> like, there's a weird kayfabe here, though, and they can't help themselves. This is one of the house styles of the WWE documentaries where they're like, sometimes they just kind of go, it's, we're going to be a little bit kayfabe Because mm. they kind of make out like he lost the match because he was hurt. There was a very yeah. kind of clear sequence of events how it was cutted that it was like, it didn't go the way I wanted to and he's hurt and then it's like, oh, one, two, three. And I was like, wait, what? And then Vince is like, medic! This really annoyed me because they they did spend a good five or ten minutes putting over the significance of the streak and how much it meant to WrestleMania and how much it meant to The Undertaker. And they don't even spend a second talking about they decided to end it here. This is why they decided to end it. This is how I felt when Vince told me we were going to end the streak. There is none of that at all. I think they're doing that because they want to keep the mystique alive of like, oh, was mm. it a call on the fly or anything Fuck's like that? sake. You know, because all you have to do is listen to Paul Heyman be asked about it on Inside the Ropes or anything like yeah. that. And he'll be like, Paul, what happened that day? There are three people in this universe. <laughs> I want to tell you about them now. <laughs> you sexy bastard. You got me believing Leave it. the milk tray and just fucking write down what happened then, all right? <laughs> so Vince, yeah, I mean, what we know, Vince spent WrestleMania in the hospital Undertaker. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't watch the end of that. I was thinking, I guess, one of the reasons that WrestleMania 30 was so great. So like, good, you know, yeah. You wouldn't be getting the Miracle Kids if Daniel Bryan won and Vince McMahon was on the headsets. He'd be like, no, bury him. <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of, tries to at the same time be like 
none really hurt me with that, but also contextualize what happened and why this was kind of a wake-up call. He mm. does casually drop in, that match killed my confidence as it relates yeah. to me as a performer. And what better way than WrestleMania 31 versus Bray Wyatt, a match that I'm very <sighs> convinced didn't actually happen. I thought it was simulated on, on 2K14 <laughs> or something. I will say, as you know, as much as I don't like that match... WrestleMania 31 Undertaker with the short kind of Frasier looking hair is one of my favorite Undertaker looks of all time. He looks like <laughs> Till Lindemann from Rammstein. He looks genuinely badass with the short hair like that. Or the, the, I mean, he's, it's another thing he very clearly looks like. Uh, this is the look I should like to call, you've done it, Niles, you've gone and <laughs> Now this is a match where the main thing I remember was gathering around to watch this with you and Billy and then mm-hmm. hearing news in the afternoon that in the rehearsal for the match, the Undertaker fucked up his ankle. So mm-hmm. we weren't expecting much from it. And it was a match that was very, very, very by the numbers. It was just like Undertaker just about doing, you know, snake eyes, big boot. You got a choke slam, two tombstones and that. And he kicked out his sister Abigail. Yeah. And in terms of like a proper outing for, for Bray at WrestleMania, it was it was really hideous. And yeah. I don't know if they intended it, but the way they chat with Bray here, it made him seem like he was really pissed off with the match. He talked about it the way Moxley talks about his match with, with Brock Lesnar. He was like, yeah. he, he showed up for a day at the office, as far as I'm concerned. It was just business as usual. And I think it was meant to be like, isn't it great the Undertaker was able to show up and do business as usual, even though he has no confidence? But it was just like, yeah, he just phoned it in, because he did. That's exactly it. Like, yeah, that that's meant to be a victory in the Undertaker's mind. Is it like, yeah, his confidence was rocked, but he still came back and he did, you know an adequate performance he did the bare minimum that was required of him so good for him poor bray wyatt this was definitely a year where we were like okay he's done more harm than good because he's hurt bray Mm -hmm. wyatt and now he's fucking off into the sunset and this was the first year where i was genuinely like you should have sat if he sat this one out i feel like this documentary probably wouldn't have even happened if he had the year of rehab Mm. after that wrestlemania 30 encounter but instead he ran into this like fucking i mean but we can't complain because you were talking about some of your favorite moments with with Undertaker came during this this later on this year, yeah, yeah. And I guess if anything, you could say that this Bray Wyatt match being a damp squib made him more motivated to make some magic with Brock Lesnar, and they so. did. They're saying you know his conference is coming back and he's all there, but you have him like looking petrified before a match, mm-hmm. really scared, and you've Undertaker sat in there like literally shaking, and Triple H has to come over to him. He's like, "Hey, remember who the fuck you are." You're going to squash this guy, all right? Don't regret it. You're, you're the Undertaker. And it's like, you're right. We'll, we'll bury him together. Sort of, you know. It just felt like there's a lot of work going into making sure this lad's okay. Yes. Yeah. Everyone has to pull together to make sure that, like, physically he can still hold up. And now you have to also keep him mentally in check to make sure that he's got the confidence he needs. And if there's anything that killed the enthusiasm for some dream matches, it was the performances of Undertaker and Sting at WrestleMania 31 because both mm. men struggled yeah. massively as far as I'm concerned. Really sad. So, fuck last year. We're going to change it up. We're going to do better. He says he's going to hit the ground running, doing some feuds with, with, with Brock. This is where JVL starts calling him the gunslinger because he shoots people. The Undertaker's <laughs> got a gun. Get down. Stand your ground, dead man. <laughs> the matches with Brock, you know, they, they praise them here. I think mm-hmm. those matches definitely, for the fans, were very, very important. It helped 
re-energize the Undertaker fan base. Absolutely. I still do maintain, though, that for new fans, it was a strange introduction to both, admittedly, a slower, slower pace. And yeah. he definitely, they were the last outlaws and the last gunslingers, or, you know, they were harkening back to a bygone era. I don't know what they were harkening back to with him and Shane McMahon, a match which was so massive and so, like, don't talk about it. It didn't yep. happen. Shh. They showed maybe one or two shots from that match at the most, and that they don't mention anything else of it, to the point where I forgot that was part of this sequence that we're doing here. What was actually in the lockbox is like a memory erasing, <laughs> and then no one knows what happened there. He was slow, he was heavy, and like not in a good way. No. He was immobile, and I remember specifically about that match just thinking he looked sore. Because Shane yeah. wanted to do all that groundwork, and when they were transitioning... The heaving, the huffing, the, yeah. you know, that was that was not fun to watch. No, I, I don't think people consider just how exhausting that kind of mat-based wrestling actually is on your joints and on your breath. Like, it, I can't imagine how tiring that must have been for a guy the Undertaker's age. I don't know how tiring it's going to be for us to once again point out that he's a fair to be a parody of himself. I yep. just have to say I'll know about that. Oh, man, <laughs> at, at, at this point, he's, like, listing all the things that he's worried about, you know, becoming and saying that he does, he's scared that this is going to happen to him. And honestly, I just felt like all these things you're talking about have already long since happened at this point. And it's kind of sad that you're not aware. It shows you the bubble that he's in. You yeah. know? It, it works both ways. He's protecting you know, people from, from knowing the real Mark Calloway. But I think the real Mark Calloway is really, really insinuated. The quote here, I never want to be one of those guys where they're going to say, oh man, you should have seen him 10, 15 years ago. You should have seen him when. Like, with the exception of the really, really Texas phrase, you should have seen him when. Yeah. I said that so much to Joe and How To for the first few years. <laughs> Honestly, every fucking other match, you should have seen yeah. him then. You should have seen him in the Attitude Era. You should have seen him with Edge. You should have seen him mm -hmm. with anyone but what you're seeing right now because <laughs> I couldn't think of a worse time for someone to get into watching The Undertaker than late 2015. Honestly, yeah. Because these matches, you and I enjoyed them. And they go downhill. The quality doesn't reach mm. SummerSlam 15 or the, the, the Hell in a Cell for a long time afterwards. Your enjoyment of those matches entirely hinges on you knowing the legacy of The Undertaker and his mystique. If you don't have that, then it is just, it's an old man who's slowly getting worse in his matches. And on the Shane McMahon point, you really mm. think about it, and no one ever brought this point up, how much of it is, and I really think it is, was that they managed to kind of buttress and really help out The Undertaker and have a lot of the heavy lifting about the intrigue and the can he go, will the mm -hmm. match be okay or not. It was gone because all anyone was talking about was Shane McMahon yep. coming back, back. And, the, and the lockbox. So, like, there was such... <laughs> What's in the box? Like, the furthest thing from my mind going into that match, Adam, I remember we watched it together. The furthest mm -hmm. thing from my mind was what The Undertaker was going to do. Yeah. I cared about Shane his kids, yep. Hell in the Cell, the lockbox, the control of WWE, the authority, yep. maybe The Undertaker's legs. <laughs> I mean, if you're concerned about anyone's well-being in that match, it was Shane McMahon because he's old, he's not wrestled in years, and we all knew that he's going to do something terrible like jumping off the Hell in the Cell. So he was the person we were concerned for. Yeah, he's going to do something terrible, like not do more Raw Underground. Can you believe it? Oh, folks? dude. <sighs> so Undertaker and Kurt... We see them chatting at the Hall oh, of Fame. Yeah. This was like fucking life-sustaining energy. I felt so happy to see that level of camaraderie from two men who genuinely 
have probably given more of themselves to the wrestling business than they've mm-hmm. realized. And I think wrestling has gotten a lot more out of them than they've gotten out of wrestling. And it just says a lot for what they've contributed, I think, because I don't think they could ever get out of wrestling what they gave back to it. Yeah. But like, Kurt's, Kurt and they're just, just shooting the shit, like being buddies. And I, I like seeing how at ease Undertaker was, even though he's the night before a match he's clearly petrified for. Yeah. The, the, these two are lovely, lovely friends together. It is honestly adorable. And then it cuts back to like 2001 and shows you Booger Red and Kurt Angle like sat on a leather couch just shooting the shit backstage. I thought it was like a segment. Yeah. But it is just, it's actually them just like, oh, do you want one of my t-shirts? Like they're just hanging out being pals and it is adorable. I feel that those are the moments that we need to see more of in, in, in wrestling. I think Absolutely. those moments are, are special healing moments. They take a moment to talk about his role as a locker room leader. Mark Henry refers to him as Don Corleone. That is not mm-hmm. the only Godfather reference. I think at one point he, he literally goes, just when they thought I was out, they pull me back in rear. Yeah, that's, that's this bit right here. He says that quote and then he points at Michael P.S. Hayes and goes, he's Don Corleone. Get a, I get a call from him a few months before WrestleMania like, how you doing, pal? And once again, it's fucking puppet master Michael Hayes making everyone else break their bodies. This was horrible. Michael Hayes seemed like such a callous individual here because mm. you cut from that to Edge going, you don't know sometimes like how you feel because you're so kind of happy to you know be considered and you think mm-hmm. things are going well with rehab or whatever that that obviously takes over and your judgment can't be very clear cuts back to the undertaker who goes to mike who's mike who's there with michael hayes and someone has asked him in the group how are you feeling and yep. looking at it right right in michael hayes he goes well man you know i feel like shit but i felt like shit last year as well Oof. that's not what you want to be hearing not like, you know oh woof <sighs> well we have the build-up now for a match with Roman Reigns that we're talking mm-hmm. about. What we'll do is we'll talk through the match ourselves briefly, and then we will actually talk about how WWE portrayed the match yes. in the documentary itself. But we are talking about how it is his yard. This is going to be all centered around yardsmanship. Yep. A real worrying moment was the rehearsals, which did seem a little bit just like fun with Creighton entrance. Like, hey, you want to see Ryback come out in a civvies <laughs> yeah. gear to the Undertaker's theme? <laughs> He was limping so badly Uh Saturday afternoon and he could barely make his way down there. No. The bit with the entryway ramp, I don't know if they meant it to come across this way, but it looked like he turned to the guy and said, I can't walk down this whole ramp. Can you have me come up halfway? Honestly, there was a bit where they were looking at the trap door, like lift mechanism. And I swear someone said like, so do you want to come out of here or do you want to do the full ramp? I feel like it was something that was decided because of his limitations because later on when he's talking with jericho very briefly jericho just kind of lowly says like how long they got you for this year and jericho goes 80 yards so it's Mm. like they were obviously discussions in play yeah and the full ramp ain't 80 yards folks it's a couple of football fields it's huge still takes a long time to get to the ring anyway of course yeah i think he's petrified he is see him the drive to the to the arena like I, I, you know, I get nervous a lot about things, and mm. one one of the benefits, I guess you could call it that, of lockdown is that because we've not had to do any live shows this year, or you know, a lot of kind of the big events that often we would do, I've missed probably getting those types of performance butterflies mm. an awful lot this year. And you know, I, every time I've went to end a live show, I got nervous. Pretty much mm-hmm. every time 
before I did stand-up comedy, I got nervous. And I used to always say to myself, like, if I didn't get nervous, I knew it would go really badly. If I got, mm. you know, there's a level of nerves where it gets too nervous and it's, it's going to work against you. Yeah. And just from my perspective, I just thought, Undertaker's into that. He ain't butterflies. It's like, if you start talking about butterflies, it'll make him annoyed and more nervous because I think he's at the point now where his nerves are physically affecting him. This is dread more than nerves, I think. <laughs> yes, he, he feels like... He's dreading it. I, I feel like a big part of it is that he is positive this is his last match. It's his retirement match, and he's not sure how good it's going to be. And it's scary as fuck. But you see him. He looks so scared. He's tired. He's got a massive heat pad, like, strapped to his hip at oh, I didn't all see times. That. All the time he's backstage, he's got this big folded-up heat pad just strapped to one hip, and he's limping around with it constantly, just trying to stay in like sort of a normal state i think literally being in the hall of fame last night is like done him in and here's the problem mm. if you're the undertaker you don't just show up and it's like right into the trailer get ready for your match because he's the undertaker he has to fucking shake 300 hands yeah where he goes anywhere you know you could tell he just wants to get settled or he has to have the chat with everyone you know you, can, you can't just shake hands with jericho you have to have to stop and chat with jericho mm -hmm. and jericho literally turns to the camera and he's like he's retiring right like yeah he, he can tell. I mean, why else would a camera crew be following The Undertaker for the first time ever in what is clearly going to be a passing of the torch match? Like, everyone knows that's why he's fighting Roman. You see him making his way to the ramp for another run-through. He, mm. can, he can't walk to gorilla position. You no. go to Shane. He's awesome, man. He's awesome. He's battle-tested, man. He's awesome. Yeah, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's I not good. That's sad. And, and he, he's Undertaker. He's getting ready now. He's getting dressed. And he's like, I'm not going to be, you know, that guy is gonna come up and like people are saying just do your entrance and do a choke slam man no way man that's not gonna be like remember that all right remember yeah. that better than ever for john Honestly. cena all right super showdown as well where he just came out and buried aj styles he didn't even take his coat off didn't even show us any cleavage fucking ridiculous <laughs> a high cut top there is a line from JBL which I fucking hated, and I think wrestling, particularly WWE, needs to find a way. AEW knows how to do this, which mm. is we can pay homage to the legends of beforehand without completely refusing to acknowledge that they are of the bygone era. Because mm. he says, this is Roman Reigns' biggest match forever. There will never be another match bigger Fuck's than this. Sake. Nothing he's done before is bigger than this. Now, fuck off. I'll tell you right now, 2017 may seem like a lifetime ago, but it ain't that long ago. Mm. And the build for that match was dreadful. It yeah. was dreadful. There was a... That sent, that word you said, Adam, there was dread in the air. We were dreading mm. this match because we knew it was going to go on last as well. Yep. They had the bit at the Royal Rumble where they could barely throw hands. It was yep. so embarrassing. And that was to build up to this. Fuck off. Are you telling me as well, JBL, that Roman Reigns against The Rock isn't a bigger match with their fucking their family history and star power? Come on. That's Some just, things are just bigger than The Undertaker. That's just JBL's hyperbole, I think. Like, he loves to fucking emphasize things that don't need emphasizing to that degree. We get a little montage here of just people talking about, like, working hurt and how Undertaker has worked hurt throughout all of his career. And Big Show says the quote, I've seen Undertaker go out there with a 103 degree fever, needing an IV drip at Gorilla because it's coming out on both ends. Find me that match. I want to see the match where Undertaker is <laughs> I... vomiting and shitting everywhere the whole time. Well, the way they showed it there, it looked like it was during uh, Big Show's 2006 ECW Championship run, where, you know, Big Show, <laughs> not because he was ill, just because of how he was at the time, was coming out both ends most times in most oh. matches. So, <laughs> fluids. 
and mm. Joey Styles going, oh my God. We have all the fans all crowding around to go, woo, let us in. Let like, us in. The, the anticipation is great. I remember distinctly getting tweets from people who were there saying, we're watching the pre-show in the fucking concourse because they haven't opened the doors yet. Yeah, the anticipation was irritating. That's what it was. People were sick of waiting outside in the hot sun. They just wanted their seats. Really focus on, you know, like you're saying, the no excuses. I think they frame it in terms of, I come from this generation where this is the way. Mm. Hence why, if I was set on fire in the elimination chamber coming yep. out, I'm just going to, you know, pour myself with water. Or if I get exposed to Cowboy Bob Orton's hepatitis, I'll just quietly beat someone up and freak out backstage. Oof. Foley talks about the broken foot in Hell in the Cell. And you know, yeah. we, we mentioned that. And I remember while we were reviewing that match, I'd been at pains to try and remind myself of that impossible to detect fact. Mm-hmm. They, they show the bit, which I always think of whenever anyone mentions his broken foot, which is where he jumps down the cell himself and lands yeah. right on his fucking feet. And he has that face of like, mm-hmm. finish the match. There's a, th- there's a mantra that he has here. And I think they're just showing clips from his career. And maybe I'm reading too much into this. But they're like, it's simple. When I'm going out there, my mind is this. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass the company. And don't embarrass Vince. And there's like a shot of him fighting Heidenreich. <laughs> oh, no. Heiden. Heidenreich. Heiden. Which of his which of his opponents is he going to victimize? Victimize. Not even Paul Heyman can make that sexy. <laughs> now who who do you want to see in the battle of the Heyman guys? Heidenreich or Curtis Axel? Who you got, Adam? Who you got? My money's on Ryback every time, baby. Every time. Yeah, what's gonna happen is Heidenreich is gonna come out when they like when they're in Hershey with his big Hershey's bar and his face like he's eating a big shit and he's got all smeared on him. And then he'll hit him over the head with that big chocolate. You like Axel, but I'm all about hiding back the tag team that never was. <laughs> oh, man, seriously. You know what? He's already got one of the little toys that he talks to is a, is a Ryback one, I reckon. <laughs> but that's what would happen if you're fighting Heidenreich. You think, we got him. All of a sudden, all these little toys come through. Like, <laughs> like, any match you're facing Heidenreich, in his mind, he'll have won in, in, in how that has played out. Oh, sorry. Just before we get into the match... Uh-oh. It's time for his pre-match jab. Fuck me. Uh, oh, Kevin, dude. Uh, don't worry about me yet. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get big and strong. <laughs> oh, you, you full-on see these knee injections. It does not look fun in the slightest. Oh, man, there's like a crunch when it goes in. Jesus, we that's got, like, depressing. We've got a mic stand here, and we've had to replace it a few times just because, you know, it's been through the wars, you know, you mm. twist it, you turn it, and sometimes you can feel when you turn it, it's like, oh, that's the metal grinding against the yeah. metal. It's like, ah! And mm. it's, it's kind of got that going in there. Oh. And then as the Undertaker sets up, he's like, I'm always extremely nervous <laughs> at this point in the match. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, literally, the universe is telling you that you shouldn't be having this match tonight. It's so sad. I don't know about you, Adam, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling jacked now. I'm ready to go. That's, that's yeah. coming. This is WrestleMania 33. Ow! It's The Undertaker versus the big dog, Roman Reigns. Your eyes. I don't know if it's just because of the spray or because you're laughing, but your eyes have actually gotten, like, kind of intense and red. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's come to we're doing drugs on the podcast now oh my 
my god! I, it's literally seawater, okay? It's, it's an over-the-counter drug, but a drug exactly. nevertheless, Kevin. So, uh, JR is here in a very fitting moment, like, this'll work out. <sighs> JR has had his special injection, so to not be bitter and terrible on commentary as well. I was gonna say, 2017 JR, that's hardly a treat on commentary at this point. No, this is like the last time they used him for a big event, and it's mm. pretty miserable. You know, and and I feel like if you have a match that is of a caliber that Jr. could be there, like Jr. on the WrestleMania 27 match, that helped a lot for the end of the era. It helped mm. a lot. Him being there for WrestleMania 25 helped massively as well. Here, it Jr. isn't here, but I don't think he ever was at the level where he could make a match that is just like underwhelming, fucking somehow really special. It's an embellishment nah. that hasn't got anything to, to go on here. Yeah, that's it. There's never been a match where we're like, damn, that would have been crap, but JR saved it with his commentary. Like he's like you say, he's just there to embellish what's already good. It says a lot about the current state of things as how I stand with JR. And I'm watching a lot of JR at the moment because I'm a, I'm a weekly AEW Dynamite mm -hmm. watcher. And I watch Dark as well. I'm a big fan of, of both shows. And anytime JR and Shot of Brandy, the greatest wrestling show on TV oh, at the moment. <laughs> None better than someone starting a, a cool cooking show where they've got a rule at the first episode where it's like, you got to finish your drink at the start. And then it's like 40 episodes later, we're in our mid-30s. You got to finish your drink. Oh. Uh, 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 oh. This is not like last week though Because I had to drink champagne That was really bad <sighs> But as it pertains to all of that I see a lot of JR And mm. even 2017 JR And I was not looking forward to it He is so much better than current JR Oh my god Oh my god Like I try to recommend Adam AEW all the time But I feel mm. like I come back going Ooh though But be careful Be careful Talk about teeth And people who's <laughs> cut out of his life And the Jesus. weather Bottom line <laughs> Alright folks You gotta do me this favour Alright <laughs> I told Adam this And it's an appropriate time to bring it up I love Shot of Brandy. I absolutely love Shot of Brandy with, with, with Brandy because I love someone who tries very, very hard. And like Brandy's many things. She's not really much of a cook and mm -hmm. she is very personable and she's she's charismatic. And the show's just shambolic enough that it's so watchable. Because if you're remotely good, you can make the show really watchable. Mm -hmm. If you're bad and a bit... Like Jungle Boy, I thought would be really fun. He was a stroppy mm. teenager. It was the most awkward 15 minutes of my life. Yeah. JR comes on finally, and Brandy's just really nervous. So JR is there with his back to the camera making pork and beans, where he just stirs in a tin of beans, a raw onion, a raw bell pepper, and a, <laughs> and a pack of mints, and then turns around and goes... Folks, here's my philosophy. And they have to keep cutting because his philosophy is really long. And it's like Brandy moving around the scene, the back of JR is like, people in your life, they're going to be toxic. They're going to bring in things that you don't like. And sometimes I find the best thing to do is to simply cut them out of your life because they're not bringing you happiness, man. They're not bringing you happiness. Cut to him, like clearly had tears in his eyes. And that's where I'm at, where I'm at, man. It's like, oh, oh, JR. Thank God we're not with that JR. He de-escalated very quickly in terms of commentary skills and ability. Yeah, very quickly from what you've told me. And so I was dreading this as well. But honestly, he is by far not the worst thing about this match. He was a nice distraction from what was going on in the ring. What about Cole breaking kayfabe? He's like, JR is here. Yeah, all right. Oh. Well, is, is Cole still a baddie at this point? I mean, no, he's not. He's, he's long since not a baddie anymore. But I just wouldn't think he'd be happy to say JR back, you know? That's where he gives the Bret Hart comes back in 2010 and be like, all right, King. Gives him the little look as if to say, we have a history. 
Oh, uh, of course. You know, I just forget about their history. I for- I always forget about the rap battle until I'm reminded. Oh, well, that's because you didn't need no music. <laughs> and, and JBL here is here too as well, which is great. Uh, this will be really fun. This will be like something out of Steven Spielberg movie, no doubt. <laughs> my, my favorite call of all time. Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> all right, so Roman Reigns gets massive boos when he comes out. Oh. And I'm sitting here going, how can you boo a man that has an amazing area of effect fist attack where he goes wha-bam and then the entire round goes and then yeah. the ring goes there's an attack he's fucking winning tonight isn't he those pre-match fireworks he can't do another one of those for another Wrestlemania that's a cool down buff and a half <laughs> let me tell you so this match is no holes barred aka many crutches allowed Lillian tells us that this match the following contest is going to be no disqualification there will be no count outs the only way is to win by pinfall and there will be no holds barred to which JR explains that means anything goes folks so there it is in three different languages if you're not quite sure what it means we've come a, we've come a long way from says who Says who? <laughs> as much as it made a miserable watch at the time, I remember this is the awful thing about Roman, and I was all—I always tried to be positive about Roman because you know, if if he's there for the kids and all that, that that's a huge part of it. And I feel that fans were very quick to to jump down his throat. I felt that he had a lot more skills than Cena did early in his career. Mm. You can't help but resent a man being in the UK at five in the morning after a seven-hour WrestleMania. And him yeah. still being out here, having no enthusiasm from the crowd. It it says to you, you're about to watch a real bad match. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe it gets. But I remember feeling that about every John Cena match all throughout them dark years when I was watching every pay-per-view with a beat red face going, <laughs> John Cena! <laughs> and when I go back now, and you know, I did you know, Edge for how to recently. We went back and we did Unforgiven 2006 where an Edge face scene in his hometown and fuck me that's a hot mm. crowd and you can look at any of the wrestlemanias with with michaels or with with batista even like there's some real hot crowds because people want to see this guy fucking finally get beaten and the people who support him are there mm. roman walking out with all the grandeur of the fireworks with seventy thousand thorough boos mm-hmm. it did give it this vibe of like this guy's walking in it's his yard now. He doesn't give a shit about any of these people. And I know 2020 Roman's a heel who always knew mm. he was the big dog. But looking back here, this has felt like really fitting character. Like he doesn't care if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He's the guy. And the crowd didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I didn't hate Roman. I was very unimpressed with Roman back in 2017. I did not think he was that good. And I was annoyed that the company kept insisting that this was the guy that we needed to back. Mm. So I went into this match fully expecting to be like, well, I'm going to be more forgiving this time and I'm going to enjoy this match a lot more as a result because I didn't appreciate it fully back in the day. Was this your first time seeing it since 2017, like myself? Yes, yes it was. <laughs> Surprisingly. It's so funny. WrestleMania 30 and 31 were like two of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. 32 and 33 are like complicated yeah. disasters that are yeah. seven or eight hours long. And they really don't know how to do this for more than two in a row. Nah. Undertaker's entrance... Met with ambivalence. Let's be honest. I think they just... It's not a pop entrance. Like, Undertaker's not got the type of entrance where it's like, boom, yeah! It, no. It is, it's not that, but there wasn't as much of an atmosphere for him. There was more of an atmosphere for Roman. Of an yeah. atmosphere of hate, I guess. But like, like you say, there's no big, like, crowd explodes kind of moment in the Undertaker's entrance, save for, like, when he brings the lights up or whatever. 
But the problem is with the WrestleMania entrances is they've made such an effort in the past of making them these big, grandiose entrances. WrestleMania 29, still my favorite entrance of all time. Undertaker coming out and all the hands coming yeah. through the fog reaching at him. Oh. But then when you do this thing where he just he comes out halfway through the ramp. Out He's of got a new door, hat, though. He's got a new hat, I guess. But he just walks to the ring and that's it. It's his bog standard 2K Games entrance. There is nothing WrestleMania-y about it. If ever the man needed a fucking chariot for both form and function, today yeah, was the legit, day. Yeah, legit. That would not have hurt at all hearse. to come out on like a hearse or a big chariot led by black horses or something. That would have been cool. Is it safe to say that this is like... I know WrestleMania 25, they did like the platform as well. But at least at WrestleMania 25, you had Sean descend from above and then Undertaker come mm. from below. And I remember turning to my pal Carl, who I was watching it with, you know, the audience. They were like, all right, look, we didn't get to see the best Undertaker entrance ever. But at least... We got to see kind of the production, the theatricality of yeah. like two entrances mirroring each other, which mm-hmm. I love shit like that. That's Andrew Lloyd Webber's fucking, he rarely gets <laughs> <in> wrestling. <laughs> this has got to be one of the most underwhelming Undertaker entrances yeah. ever, Adam. I mean, like he comes out halfway up the ramp, he still takes a knee on, he's very slow, he does limp, his mm-hmm. coat is all ruffled, and also it looks like he's wearing daddy's clothes, like it's too big for him. Yeah, I just. Like, has he, got, has he got his mother's ashes in the pocket or something? Like, what's going on here? This is his retirement match in his head. Like, they don't explicitly outright say, I am going to have my last match ever tonight. But everyone knows this is his retirement match. It's palpable. And this is the entrance that he was okay with, just coming out and doing a regular, plain-ass Undertaker entrance. Come on, I don't I'd get be, it. You know it's definitely not his final match, because if it was his final match, he would have come out on his shield, you know? Like in, like in Breath of the Wild. Hop, 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 yeah! <laughs> that would have got him down the ramp well fucking quick think of that shield surfing to the ring that would be amazing amazing someone needs to do the uh, the, the freeze time effect in wrestling as a special move I you know, <laughs> send someone sailing over that top rope it's not helping facts that I watched Deadly Games tournament the other day where Undertaker oh. came out for a match that had both dark guitar jingle bells people going oh oh <laughs> and Paul Bear as well. So, yeah. you know, it's not WrestleMania. And it's, it's like, it's, it's main event time as well, Adam. That's mm-hmm. that's strange. This is the last match. This is the, yeah, this is the last image of WrestleMania 33 is going to be this match. So make it count. And Taker's not went on last since WrestleMania 26. It's been nearly seven years since then. That's so, a long while for his retirement as well. It's at his lowest point, like skill-wise, I think. So, yeah, it's pretty scary. And you'd think it can't really be any more sort of underwhelming and a little bit lackluster for his final ever match. And then he gets in the ring and he takes his hat off and he's got that big red line across his forehead because his nice new hat is clearly a size too small for him. So he's got this big fucking embarrassing mark on his head. He's gassed. Like he's, he's, yeah. those are terror sweats. He's in pain. Mm. He, and it's sad that they didn't go with the whole. Has he got it in him? Because they, they couldn't do that. Because if they went with the angle of has he got it in him, it means nothing for Roman to beat him. But instead, they make out that he's digging 29 holes for 29 souls and 29 folds. And yep. then Roman has an underwhelming match with him. Like, anything that Roman has in 2020. And I think he's a fabulous performer to watch in 2020. Watch mm. his match with Jey Uso if you want to learn how oh. this man has actually learned to emote in a match. Because there's no emotion from Roman in this match other no. than befuddlement. 
That, 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 that was Roman's bread and butter for years, I think, is just befuddlement. Like, he'll he'll have a little laugh and a smile if you keep beating him up, and everyone's like, Roman Reigns is laughing, King! What's going on? Or if he can't pin you, then he'll do a confused face, and that's all he had going at the time. And then after the confused face, he go, nah, for real, and then he'd do a spear or something yeah. like that. He wasn't man for much uh, emotionality in the ring. Roman is a Holocaust denier sign is one of the first things that we see, which really speaks to the absolute ridiculousness. Like, if you're getting to this level with your hatred of Roman Reigns, mm. don't spend nearly 10 grand going to WrestleMania mm-hmm. so you can hold up a Holocaust denial sign. Mm. That's... Who's that for, exactly? I'm, I... You? Yeah, yeah. The, the subsection of wrestling fans on the internet that think it's funny to try and embarrass Roman in any way, and that sign's there for the whole evening now. Like, oh, yeah. no one, no one takes it or anything. Oh, I mean, great, fucking beautiful. Like, we mm. got. Well, it's not like you say anything really controversial, like we shouldn't go to Saudi Arabia or anything like that. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's one thing that the Roman could do to keep up the Undertaker in this match. There's one aspect that this is a real tete-a-tete, so to speak, mm. and that is Roman's got an A plus star grunt game adam bibelow he does yeah he does and this for nothing else this match is good for grunts because undertaker starts off grunty and as he gets more tired he gets gruntier and roman reigns like i didn't buy that this was now his yard in terms of wrestling but in terms of grunts yeah fair play this is your yard now mate you've definitely got the the handle i'll tell you what i fucking hate i hate this shit and commentary with like Wow, what a bucket list moment for Roman Reigns. He gets to wrestle his favorite Esther the Undertaker. He'll be telling people about... Wow. Fuck off. I just... Sorry, I feel like you give JBL a little too much credit there because he doesn't call it a bucket list moment. He calls it a bucket list. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> See an Undertaker at WrestleMania, Cole. That's a bucket list. That's a bucket list. Look at Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson in the front row. They're giving him the thumbs up, Cole. They love it. Ha <laughs> ha. There's the, the the grunts evolve into load bearing grunts very quickly. Absolutely, they do. Yeah. There's a bit when they're outside, and there's a lot of time on the outside, aka the coward's wrestling ring, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to this cool soft play area instead. Like, would you, <laughs> would you feckin' wrestle? Come on now. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of like, it's, you know, it's where Sting would be, you know, except that they'd be feel embarrassed to go into the ring so we're not wrestling in the impact zone or anything like that. Mm. But yeah, Undertaker and Roman spend most of it on the ring apron. There's a couple of cool bits yeah. where Roman's doing stuff where he's doing, he's doing like Michael's a few points. <laughs> Not very rare that you will hear, very rare you'll hear Roman Reigns and Shawn Michaels be compared, but he does some things like he does the big dive, like he's going to do the big drive-by kick and Undertaker yeah. just kind of barely throws a limp punch like, Burr! and it makes him look like, wow, Undertaker, he's so cool, he punched this, you know, flying Roman out of the air, whereas, you know, mm. Roman's literally just like doing like, jumping up against the wall and slipping on a banana peel to make this guy yeah. bear. Like, Taker... I watched his feet a lot in this match because uh, mm. I'm a big freak. Now, <laughs> I watched his feet in this match a lot because I could tell he was quite bow-legged. And I know mm. it's always been said of The Undertaker that he's one of the most kind of sure-footed wrestlers ever. And the fact that he takes so few steps across the ring, and we've, we've mentioned that he's got a yeah, really big strides. Big strides. And it wasn't here tonight. He was very wobbly. His hips were kind of shaking and he looked kind of 
like every time the big foot would move forward there was a hobble and the other foot have to kind of he was working overtime just to stand upright you know and that's that's really worrying fragile was the word i had for like yes. most of this match he, he comes off as so incredibly fragile and i feel like yes to have done the angle of undertaker hasn't got it anymore that wouldn't have made roman into anything special no but i feel like that was the only viable story they could tell here because he doesn't look like the undertaker he's not dominant in any way here yeah no it should have been heel turn here for roman absolutely who's like merciless and beating this guy and then you know give the undertaker a year or two to to recoup and he can come back and do the better than everything against roman as a heel and, yeah you know, that would have but it just, they were too invested in Roman as a face for what, I mean, it I seems so weird to say that with 80,000, 70,000, whatever it is, a lot of booze here. Honestly, uh, you mentioned that Jey Uso match. That was all I could think about throughout this because we come to a point in the match where Undertaker just keeps getting beaten up and Roman can't get him to stay down. And all I could think about is how this actually would be pretty good if Roman was mouthing off, actually saying something with a bit of bite to it, actually being a bit more, you know, mean and a bit more dominant. But it's the same bollocks we've had time after time where it's like, stay down. Come on, stay down, please. Just stay He's down. Look at his watch, like, on! <laughs> <laughs> Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose are there, like, beep, 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 come on! <laughs> See the ride along after he beats the Undertaker. Jeez, that took fucking ever. <laughs> there is a sequence here which was the most exposing sequence of the Undertaker in the match because it felt like there was lots of, like, look, we'll do the bits where. You throw them out of the match and go, my yard, my yard. Yeah. You know, they did a lot of that, and that was okay. But Taker tried to do the old sequence, which is corner splash, snake, snake eyes, eyes, hit the ropes, mm -hmm. big boot, the leg drop. And that was like, that was Taker's go-to five moves of doom. But it's not a five moves of doom because we liked The Undertaker. Exactly. <laughs> and he, he would do those, and that would always be, like, that's the moment where he says he wants to punctuate the speed. You know, back mm. in the day, it would just be the big rolling clothesline whereas that would be now his point where like right the pace is picking up here comes yes. booger red he struggles on every element of this part it yeah. is so so he picks up roman he looks immediately like like roman's foot feet are about to hit the floor like he can't get him on his shoulders mm -hmm. and keep his legs underneath him like roman being there looks like it's going to buckle him he just kind of glances him into the corner he ha he's so close to the corner as well there's no distance like it's very short all of this feels like when he hits the ropes roman is like two steps away from him to hit him mm -hmm. with a big boost he's like really really he can't do it and then after the sequence when roman goes out undertaker is just like i'm gonna head out to the ring like just gonna head out myself he goes over the top rope yeah kevin dunn saved him here because he did a big zoom out wide hard cam shot but you can see undertaker in the corner when he gets out he literally goes oh fuck like his eyes go Jesus. big and he literally goes oh like his mouth and his eyes go like he's a fucking like he's a toy in a kellogg cereal box or something like that like woo <laughs> and yeah you can tell it's literally his feet have just fucking given way on him or like his hips yeah. his legs are not playing ball what's really sad is that watching this match i was thinking to myself like well at least it's going to be better than his wrestlemania 30 match because in that one he was so concussed and he was on autopilot this match it feels like the autopilot has stopped working as well and this guy is just struggling to get anything done at all and at least autopilot's against brock lesnar who's doing what he said he's gonna do yeah it's like 
Roman doesn't show enough of a mean streak here. No. Nope. Nor does he show enough sympathy. It's like this Roman Reigns character hasn't got enough to say about this situation where I feel any wrestling character worth its salt would have lots to say. Yeah. This is my biggest criticism with Roman back in these days is the only form of drama that he has at all in his matches was I'll do another Superman punch or I'll do another spear. And that was the only thing he had to remotely try and get people invested. And I don't know if you notice here, but I've noticed this very starkly. The crowd don't make a peep for any of the Superman punches or spears or anything. Like they, no, they just because... they stay right hush because of Roman. The Superman punch is all in the cell. That's all it is. He literally, he jumps up, he, he leaves one foot and punches you. If mm. you don't sell that in a kind of a, you know, the comedic, Miz takes a great one, he does the big spin yeah. around and all that. But Taker literally just goes like, bruh, bruh. he sells it like a regular punch. That's what we mm. get. Like I think it's four or five of those it's in this five, match. Yeah. And we get four spears as well, which like, fucking hell, lads. Seriously? We get the tables being interfered with. You know, table time is always bad when someone is not up to it physically yeah roman spears undertaker through a table and i somehow felt more concerned for roman because he went kind of like head first and almost like rolled through it looked mm. like he was gonna really hurt himself there reigns unemotional beats the shit out undertaker so more we're yep. in the corner and oh boy if this is our last ride i need to get a fucking uber to get me the rest of the way there this is fucking <laughs> shit <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ so yeah he's in the corner with the, it's the easy setup as well so it's not like he has to yeah you'd have up. to lift him or anything no you know, roman's in the corner you know groin right up against his face like big mm-hmm. dog you're punching him away there slowly and slowly and then undertaker it gets him for the last ride his arms are about to fall off like honestly he can't get roman up at all now roman is a dense lad he's not the tallest in the world but mm. you know he's done this with fucking big show he's done it with brock he's done it with yeah huge names he's done it with mark henry for fuck's sake it's not about the person he's doing it to it's about his own strength and his own joints and i feel like all of his joints are failing him here watch the feet again when he does it his legs he literally crosses his legs over like he's about to, to slip and fall jesus on ice. he he's he has to steady himself and he gets like one hand barely above the other mm. it was horrible the crowd like the crowd don't even have the enthusiasm to boo they're just kind of quiet and murmury it's like a dull low level like we don't like what we're seeing it's like if you put a heel versus heel on on a video game that has a really bad crowd system Mm -hmm. and that's your main event of wrestlemania taker gets the chair just like wrestlemania 27 except the man who's delivering the chair shot seems to be in more pain than the man receiving the chair shots like chair shots to the back on roman reigns with the d-low chest protector come on lads rip it off this this is just kind of sad that like old man undertaker just goes out and gets a chair unprovoked just because he's not he's not doing very good in the match so he needs to use a weapon now instead did you hear what jr said mm. he goes undertaker getting a chair let me tell you folks it ain't comfy it ain't for sitting down on and then everyone starts <laughs> nervous laughing because like haha yes undertaker would not need to sit down oh you could probably use a sit down oh, jbl offer him your chair jesus christ get two more superman punches Third yep. one is then avoided. We get a choke slam on a chair and a pageantryless tombstone pile driver where the Undertaker picks it up and is literally like, mm-hmm, and then right. Yep. It's like when when Goldberg does the jackhammer, it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, I can barely it. do this. No pageantry. And you know when Undertaker does the special face when he's like, oh, Jesus, the mm. grimace. 
Like when he did it with Punk, he stuck the fucking tongue out and he's like, yeah, yes. scary looking. Like, that's the Undertaker, that is. Like, yeah. this is just. The idea when like this kind of demon version of him comes out where like, eyes yeah. in the back of his head, tongue rolling down. It's like Undertaker, like your dad's Undertaker cosplay has fallen apart at the scenes here. <laughs> Worst ninth birthday party ever. You might need to pay the Undertaker. You might need to pay the dad pay the Undertaker a couple of extra hot dogs and cups of jelly for this one. And another thing I hate here, another trope. This is what I mean, sorry. This, every element of this match feels unoriginal and uninspired. And it's just... We've looked over all of Undertaker's last few streak matches and we've nicked all the bits that we liked and that'll make a great retirement match, won't it? The Roman Reigns kicking out of the tombstone and under- like zoom in on the Undertaker being like, what? He kicked out? Like, that's like <laughs> six or seven times that's happened at this point. It's, it's not special. It zooms in and he's like... Oh, God. Oh. Yeah, Undertaker is um, not really faring well as we get into the home stretch of this match. The reverse tombstone fiasco, aka the only thing that went wrong, according to the makers of this documentary. Mm. Uh, Yeah, this has got so many camera cuts. And I can't tell you, Adam, I don't know if you noticed or not. Do you reckon that these were like Kevin Dunn post post live camera cuts to make it look better because it was like he picks them up and like you get every camera angle so that your brain literally struggles to follow the sequence of events of undertaker and roman reigns roll around with their heads in each other's mickeys like a bunch of fucking idiots i think these cuts were mixed live because i think they were just scrambling to be like there's got to be an angle where this doesn't look as bad i feel like if they were going to edit this in post they would have just cut out that botch because it is a it's a nasty botch there's no recovering from it at all it's the worst of all the, the worst things that can happen in a botch because they come this close. I'm very small finger distance mm. I'm holding up to someone landing on their head. I mean, yes. the worst case scenario, both of them probably could have landed on their head the way they were yeah. going somehow. And also, it looked like it looked like the most exposed. Here are two men cooperating to try and do a wrestling yep. move in a wrestling match. It was the most, like... The, you know, you've seen the double of the card in the in the magician's trick. It's so yeah. deflating, and that's not what you needed at this point in the match, where the atmosphere sounded like a thousand balloons being slowly deflated over time. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that they try again, they try it like two or three times, and you're just fucking begging them to stop at this point because it's so fucking awkward. Jr. goes, oh, "I'm getting worried here, guys. This is after the fourth Superman punch, by the way, and 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 another spear. We have Jr. going, oh man." Undertaker's looking hurt, guys. And then Michael Cole in the oddest save face ever. Ha <laughs> You try moving that big body around. <laughs> what? You try moving that big body around. <laughs> it's it's got to hurt to exist for the Undertaker. He's so big. We get the Hell's Gate in Massive Inverted Commas. And this is my kayfabe, which is that so scared of the iron fist of Teddy Long as the Undertaker that he did a maneuver on Roman Reigns that was so far away from being distinguished as the Hell's Gate. Aww. And so two fucking plates of meat colored spaghetti wriggling around. It was so. What is this, an arm bar? What? It there are knees involved, right? Mm. It looked really fucking naff. It's it was sad. So, so fucking bad, Adam. And then you got Cole going, all right, this is what I hate, right? I hate when wrestling... Like, I like to be reminded that I know fuck all about wrestling. I get plenty of that on Twitter. It's fine. But I don't like when 
Resin reminds me that I know loads of stupid shit that is no use, that no one's ever going to be like, glad you got that fact right, Kevin. Good job. You're a good podcaster. <laughs> when Cole goes, ah, oh, Hell's Gate, ask Edge about this at WrestleMania. Ask Batista about this at WrestleMania. Ask Brock Lesnar about this at WrestleMania. Firstly, Brock Lesnar beat Undertaker. So yeah, he like, won the match. If we asked Brock, he'd probably be like, ah, yes, my winning victory against the Undertaker. <laughs> and if you were to ask Batista at WrestleMania 23, he'd be like, the hell's gate. And then it would be like, what? You're the Mac Militant. Come on and get in on. And go, Hold sake. on a minute, player. Now, Batista has just... Cre- I'm doing the dance, by <laughs> the way. He's actually dancing. He's actually Batista dancing. Batista has just created... A time paradox because the Hell's Gate submission did not exist in the Undertaker's arsenal until 2008 when he feuded with La Familia a whole year after his match at WrestleMania 23. Wow. As a result of this, you have to go one-on-one with a young version of Randy Orton that was in the Marines still. (laughs) And he's all like... <laughs> You're like, why? Why does Randy Orton call himself the Viper? And he's like, I'm in the Marines. <laughs> hardcore Metal Gear. You, you have been so physical since you did those nasal shots earlier. Like you've been doing a lot of dancing and gyrating around as you talk. <laughs> I got too much juice inside me. Woo! <laughs> so yeah, I hate myself for knowing those facts. And after putting him in the move for a bit, he just stops. Just let's go. Just let's go. Well, I don't know, Adam. Maybe he lost his group. His uh. grip was getting loose or something <laughs> like that. Like, what, ask Edge about this. Ask Batista. What, what about when he was eventually let out? Like, <laughs> so Roman gets a chair, and as he's picking up the chair, and he's going like, it looks like he's yawning, like, <laughs> bang. Another spear. Another spear. Michael Cole. Psh, he keeps kicking out of the spears, guys. How long is this going to fucking take? Am I right? You rest me 25. And now what? And now what? And now what? <laughs> Good dear. He just keeps kicking out of the spears. While you would with that big body. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd start going, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they actually, they, they get, they like come alive for Undertaker kicking out because they, they fucking hate Roman so much. Is that what it is? Because I was like, yeah. are they like enthusiastic for Taker or enthusiastic for Roman Reigns somehow losing more face in their pursuit to get him over? I think it was merely the the proper, like, we just would love it if Roman lost this match. <laughs> like, that's all it is. They don't care about Undertaker winning. They just care about Roman Reigns potentially losing. Undertaker tries to sit up. And I watched a super eyepatchable video about your wrestling heels. And he was like, this is one of the most important moments in the history of the Undertaker's career. I'm like, it's just an old man sitting up and falling over at this point. Mm. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. looking at this match and applying this, like, you know, retrospective layer of drama about how amazing it was and how important it was. Like, no, nah, this match ain't got that because this match is like so far removed from his last match ever or what will be his last match ever yeah. that this match now stands as nothing more than a really, really bad aberration after having a little bit of a safe face after a really embarrassing moment at WrestleMania 30. Honestly, there is no. This match is not a significant milestone in any way because this wasn't the moment that Roman was passed the torch. This wasn't the moment the Undertaker hung up his gloves. Like this, everything they tried to do here was undone so quickly that this match is completely meaningless now. 
This torch passing bullshit when you make the entire fucking pay-per-view of WrestleMania to be about one guy for 20 years and The Undertaker. You know, that's mm. how the, that's how you're telling the story now, even if the streak wasn't a part of it for so long. Yeah. You ain't you ain't passing shit. Like no. you can't you can't pass it to Bray Wyatt because he's the next spooky guy. You can't pass it to Roman Reigns because he's the next big dog. It doesn't work like that. No. The closest thing you have is someone like Braun Strowman killing the big show saying i'm the big man now that's it that's all you can do that's the only way you can pass torches in wrestling in any sort of an effective way oh jesus when taker gets up i forgot about this and it's like all right one more let's hit the finish fucking undertaker's out of position so roman hits the ropes and they look right into each other they nearly kiss and then he has to punch him then he doubles so fucking awkward like that was obviously the finish of the match and they had to redo it and again left it in on the network there's no editing this out yeah double ropes uh, it's kind of like when when warrior did it to savage which you know i kind mm. of thought were they playing that where warrior ran the ropes twice he speared savage and savage goes out of the ring and then he brings him back in and pins him but obviously if they did that the undertaker would have had to like they would have to bury him right dead and there they wouldn't have been able to move mm. him from that spot so yeah fourth spear roman wins did you catch JR's line of commentary when the three count hit and the bell rang. Finally. <laughs> Somehow worse. What a physical matchup. I oh, shit you not. Buddy, what a Fuck physical matchup. Show us. You tell me DJ Gabriel and Bam Mealy coming out here putting on a physical main event? Is that what's going on? That was a boring match. That was a physical match. Undertaker versus his joints was a hell of an encounter there. Very physical. 15 minutes they left the camera on him and the... Oh, I know. The slow putting on of the coat and them taking it off again. And my favourite bit about all this, people going, oh, so iconic, so iconic. It's not because he didn't retire. Like, it's gone. No, exactly. It doesn't mean anything. It's not like Flair as well, where you kind of go, oh, he's ruined that. Because, like, no, because he never wrestled in WWE again. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and Flair, somehow he almost knew that no one would be talking about TNA in, from 2010 all these years mm-hmm. later, except for us now and then. So, like, it's a much different thing. Undertaker has very much had big comebacks and big moments and big better than ever. They've literally said better than ever. This yep. is so hollow now. It's a man taking off his fucking hat and coat after hastily putting them on. The hat doesn't fit as well. His head's no. grown during the match or something. <laughs> I oh. I mean, the the one takeaway I like from this moment, because it did at the time, at the time, this felt special, him leaving his stuff in yeah. the ring and then walking away. It was sad. And it made me sad. It did make it me sad. It was sad. I do like that later on when Cena, I think it's when Cena calls him out or something, that the lights come on and Undertaker's stuff is back in the ring and the lights go off and they've disappeared again, like signifying that he is now out of the lodge or wherever he's been for like the last few years oh you see what i always thought it was is that out of embarrassment undertaker would start doing that after every match i, mean, I always leave my hat and coat I, that, that's I uh, right because i was gonna say i want someone to ask him in kayfabe like why did you do that what, what, what was that about why did you do that after that one match with roman reigns and like have him you force him to answer the question but, well the question is vague <laughs> <laughs> That was a war- that was a rough watch, man. Do you think they're going to be harder matches or easier matches after this? I think we're going to get a couple of easier ones. I do feel like this is so bad that Undertaker really goes out of his way to improve, and then I think it's going to get even worse than this after that. Right? Yeah. The I, worst I, is yet to come. What one do you think will be the worst match? Goldberg. 
Definitely Goldberg. I mean, okay. the, 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 the tag team match in Saudi might be worse, but that's not going to be solely down to Undertaker and his opponent. Oh, that's you a see, combination. That's the thing. I, I, think, I think the tag match is going to be the worst. I yeah. think that's going to be the worst because it's four legends making a fool of themselves. There's no locker to blame anything on. Someone uses <laughs> that's their true. hair. So, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's, I can't oh, wait. Oh, God, I can't now, wait. Now, f- final, final thing I want to say about this match before we get back to the documentary is that the final image, Undertaker leaves his stuff in the ring and then he goes back to the ramp to the trap door that he came out of and he raises his fist American Badass style and then descends into the fog. And I actually hate that they wasted that image here because that is such an incredible image to end his career on. And now they've already used it. They can't top that now and they've blown it. Good job, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they are intriguing about this how they cover it in the documentary because they obviously and this is going to happen i think a lot throughout the documentary they want you to know that he's disappointed but they also at the same time want to make you out that even undertaker being disappointed is still a wrestlemania moment (laughs) and they start off with what i can best describe as the wwe library music that most sounds like when something goes slightly wrong in firefly but not really wrong So it's like Undertaker's like coming out to the match. It's like like there's a little bit of a water, so you think, oh, it's been yeah. wacky, though, isn't it? Like, so it's okay. Non-stop hyperbole. Most of the highlights that they show just make it seem like a grunt fest. Yeah, they make it seem epic, though. They—that's the failing. They say like it's an epic encounter that took too much out of the Undertaker for its own good, whereas. Like, all the shots of the fans being like, oh, probably like yeah. different events or earlier in the night when they saw Honestly. some actual wrestling. You don't see any of, like, Undertaker looking unsure or shaky or anything. They just, it's basically a highlights of all the big spots of the match, like the spear through the table, Superman punch. Honestly, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, the only real problem with the match, according to this documentary, is they botched that tombstone. And that's it, pretty much. Right. Here's how you can tell what WWE are lying, right? If they show you, like, the match happened, and then it's like, you know, we go from the, it might be worrying, to the ZZ Top. <laughs> like, they're having a good time here. And when you're showing loads of shots of close-ups of single fans going, oh, mm, yeah. and then it cuts to the high spots of the match where everyone sat down, that's betraying <laughs> the ghost of your royalty-free ZZ Top music there, where it's like Tombstone Piledriver, there's people like en masse sat down, looking yep. at their phones, like, yep. you know, come on, it's not what you're saying it is. The stay down bit was made out to be way more intense than it was. Hate it. They Hate that to- so much. The shots from here that were used in the WrestleMania, like, you know, the day of documentary that they should have used in the match itself, I think, if they went a different route, but it's yes. Michelle and the baby crying because the mm. match is so boring. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, and they're, no, Adam, they're traumatized now because they're never going to be able to watch wrestling without thinking of their boring father. <laughs> Yeah, we should remind everyone, this is at the end of another five-hour WrestleMania as well. Like, it's been a long uh, sorry, night for everyone. Sorry, se- seven hours, please. Give me my full pre-show. Oh, the I pre-show, see... yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. And to remind us that Jim Johnson is a jewel that they let slip between oh. their ever-increasing grasp, we get the sad piano. Blah, 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 blah. That gave me more emotion, more feelings, more introspection, and more general feelings about Mark Calloway, the person, yeah. and The Undertaker, the character, than that match. 
and I'd say a good mm-hmm. 80% of the attempted in-ring offerings from WWE and Mark Calloway for the last five years. Legitimately. This little bit of music. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. I... I am always at odds trying to figure out why WWE don't understand the brands of their characters. Like, they're so fucking strong. Like, yeah, we got Undertaker, wine, but, like, you understand just hearing the few little chords of that music will mm-hmm. elicit such an emotional response in so many fans. It's, like, little things like that that wrestling doesn't understand, I think. It's, yeah, whenever wrestling does something so genuinely beautiful like this, it's often either by mistake or that wasn't their intention to do it that way. They should have played it in the arena when he was leaving. Like, because I know people feel weird about silly music and all that. I honestly think instrumental music should be used for emotional moments, for cues for the audience yeah. so they can have a little bit of an idea of what's going on. You would have had people crying in the audience if they heard that music yes. being pumped out in the stadium. Especially because, again, I've got to say it, this was meant to be his final match. Yeah! What, what was the special element about this? He had a regular entrance, he had a regular match that you've seen loads of times before but only with a better undertaker and then the special special thing was he left his coat in the ring it wouldn't have killed them to put the sad music here it would have been really really memorable one cool little fact that i found out about this was that this was a wrestlemania where they left the hat and the coat in the ring like there was the last thing that was taken down they took down the entire stage the entire set everything until the ring itself was taken apart and the canvas was taken apart that's when they took out the hat and coat, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I wonder why they did that. Like, someone should ask The Undertaker why that happened, because uh, I don't really understand. They had to follow up from WrestleMania 32, which is legitimately a WrestleMania that ended with Triple H standing around at ringside to try and like do a little bit of like, hey everyone, just so they didn't leave with such a sour taste in their mouths. Like, you know, like Austin used to do during, you know, after 9-11, like, hey yeah. everybody, let's have some fun with paranoid Steve Austin. After WrestleMania, though. You guys want to talk about the authority, huh? (laughs) Look, even with the 1,000% dignity buff they give him in the edit, he looks absolutely miserable here. Yeah. Him and Triple H crying together. Triple H's like, who's a hell of a run, man? It's like, who are you kidding, lads? Like, each other? Triple H hasn't got his elbow pads or wrist tape on, so it just makes me feel very uncomfortable. That's just a naked man waiting for him backstage. Bet he's wearing socks as well. I don't like that. Michelle is convinced he's done. This is it this time, for real. Like He's said it loads before, but I can tell the way he's acting, this is it this time. And the one bit that really made me happy is that after she said that, there was this, at least, it's what you get with, with Mankind after the Royal Rumble match and Beyond the Mat. Mm. There's that little moment where, like, you know it's fucked up. You know there's tense times ahead for this family. You know that there's a man in the room, Vince McMahon, who's got a lot more sway and power over this and is controlling this life a lot more than mm. anyone wants to admit on. But then there is that little flash, there's a brief moment, and I'm not sure if it's that he's happy to be there or happy that the match went a certain way. I think it's more that he's just relieved it's over and he seems to have a bit of happiness. And he yeah. just seems like, well, at least it's done now. And yes. he's, you know... He's on his fucking two feet, at least, which, honestly, going into the match wasn't a certain. Yeah, honestly, like, he's... Yeah, I think that's what it is. He's genuinely happy that, like, I've been dreading this for years. I've been dreading having my final match, and I've done it now. The thing I was scared of is finally over. Whether it was good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's done. And I think there is a huge relief that comes with that. We all know at WrestleMania, the main person you want to be impressing at the end of the day is the chairman of the board, the man behind Gorilla Position, Vince McMahon. There's been horrible stories of, you know, Kevin Owens coming out after an amazing match with Chris Jericho. And be like, no, we are not cool. And I don't think he had the heart to say this to The Undertaker at the time, but on the documentary, he wasn't there. And he knew in his heart that he wasn't there and his performance wasn't there. 
Mm. Are you gonna say that too when he comes through the curtain? Are you like you do with Kevin Owens? Fucking depressing. S- shoot from the hip there, Vin Man. <laughs> Well, well, at least the one positive. Everyone knows after WrestleMania is off the air and everyone's finished, it's time to celebrate, it's time to party, it's time to have a good time. Undertaker, he's straight backstage, having some fluid removed from his kneecaps now. <laughs> oh, shit, hang on! Oh, oh God. There is a lot of mucus. Oh, shit, that won't work. Sorry. No, no, no. no. I'm sorry, I can't empathise with the Undertaker. <laughs> So they take the ozone back out of his knees, I guess, to, to then say, give to someone else, maybe. <laughs> I can't stop viewing him as a pollution villain from Captain Manor. <laughs> Why must you take out the poison from me every time, Meg Ryan? It makes me stronger. No, sweetheart, <laughs> we must wait until next WrestleMania. Otherwise, it won't be effective. But why not just give me more pollution? <laughs> so, yeah, Undertaker... Oh, zone. Yeah. Oh, boy, uh, as well. So, Adam, I ended before what they were saying was coming up next. What do we got on tap for the next part of The Last Ride? I didn't see the entire preview for the coming up next episode bit because all I saw was a completely exposed kneecap with a drill going into it. Like, it was proper, <laughs> like, horror movie. Ah! Like, you see it in full vivid detail. <laughs> it was so so horrible <laughs> I'm trying to think if it would be one of those or it would be a <laughs> it, it, it was the <laughs> it was the first but I don't know which is worse to be honest oh my god my nose is fucked next episode let's <laughs> take oh a vibrator boy. up there or something <laughs> <laughs> Well, Adam, I've had a fun time talking about The Last Ride. I should say, before we're heading into our next installment, we are going to button it up, head back down under to the WWA, and give The Last Rides for St. Andrew McManus, and the final installment of WWA, was it Reckoning? Retro Recon? I think it's The Reckoning, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. We're going to have to fucking check now. It's probably more likely going to be called The Retconning is the way things are going <laughs> with the WWE. It's The Reckoning. That's the next one. The Reckoning. The Reckoning. Or The Retconning, as it no doubt will end up being. That is next on tap for us. There will, of course, be a caption contest. And hey, as always, thank you for listening to another episode of the Attitude Podcast. And as always, if you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify... Stop asking. You can leave us an old rating or review, or the best thing you can always do to help us out is tell a friend or one of those people who asks for recommendations on Twitter. If you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Attitude Era Podcast, you will find we have a whole library of video clips there. Clips from current episodes, old episodes, and a lot of our Patreon content. So if you've not subscribed and you want to get a little taste of what the Smackdown Crawl, Bibelotech, or our video episodes are like, check out some of our previews over on Facebook. Smackdown Crawl, yes, nearly 70 episodes where Adam and I review all of Smackdown episode by episode in depth. It's ridiculously fun. The Bibelotech, real in-depth book report podcast. Podcast, where we go part by part through biographies and stories told by wrestlers, ghostwritten and otherwise. There's an amazing variety of episodes of that, some of which are available for free on the timeline. The The Big Show 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 Show, a crossover event with How To Wrestling's Joe Graham, where we review all of Big Show's Netflix series. The Is it called the Biliotech officially? 
It is called the Bibliotech, but we went a whole episode, like we did episode two the other day and we didn't mention it once. <laughs> the, the as yet untitled Adam and Billy project where they are reviewing on their own some No Kevin here, a podcast where they're reviewing The Undertaker's comic series that came out in the late 90s. There's video episodes. You've got likes of Adam going through the making the game food and workout. We've got WrestleMania 19, Warzone for the N64, Photo Slam. We've got a whole shed load of different video episodes as well as that Q&As, commentary tracks, and if you're so inclined, and you've got a podcast or a YouTube series, a website, or a Kickstarter or a product of your own that you're really passionate about and want our audience to learn about and you want to support the show, head on over to our Patreon page. You can support us by sponsoring the caption contest, getting a lot of eyes and ears on your new thing. If you want any more information, send us an email to attitudeerapodcast at gmail.com. Subject sponsorship, but for all of that information about all of our lovely goodies for our listeners and our backers, we're 100% fan and listener supported. No corporate masters here. For simply $5, you can do that. Support us directly at patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. And hey, we mentioned it before. And if you're after some more podcasts from us, we're using the downtime and the extra ability to record podcasts during this pandemic to launch our new network channel, Podcrabs. All of the podcasts fall under the Podcrabs banner, but we got some new exciting sub-series like Kevin Underground, where I review Raw Underground on my own and have a very normal time. And our new series, It's Raw, where finally, Adam, Joe, and myself, we're getting to review All of Kitchen Nightmares. Episode yes. 3 has dropped. There's more episodes coming. Check it out, Podcrabs, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, where we're going to be looking back down under in the WWA, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Adam. And we'll see you next time on the Attitude Era Podcast. Boom.